Meanwhile, hi, this is Seb. And this is Marcus. And welcome back to Meanwhile. Ha-ha! We're back. We're back. They're coming. We have returned for another Halloween episode. That's right, three Halloween episodes in three weeks. Content for days. Can you tell we're really trying this time? Exactly. Can you (laughs) tell that we love Halloween and we love horror movies and everything? Yeah, we'll, we'll release these three episodes, and that's it for the year. Yep, legit. That's it. That's our work. Maybe, that's... maybe some Christmas. Maybe <laughs> that, some Christmas that's the, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's legit it. You're never going to hear from us again. November is a dead time of year. Um, It's kind of true, to be fair. What is November? Mm, like, what do you even do? Mm. I can't even grow facial hair, so it's not like I can do Movember. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing to do in November, legit. I'm just trying really hard to think, like, what happens in November, but oh well. Anyway, so, um, by now, you should already know, we've done a list of 50 great horror films according to the Empire magazine, and then we kind of did a quick round of 50 more Halloween films and stuff. You know, if you've missed that, be sure to go back and check it out. Quite an extensive list. Now, you might be thinking... Why on God's earth have we returned to do an episode three? Well, here we go. Like we said in the last episode, the list spanned decades. We had classic horror films, we had classic Halloween films, and a few modern ones here and there. But today, we want to focus on specifically modern horror because, you know, we thought that it would deserve its own episode as its own segment. Now, Marcus, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what we're going to be talking about in terms of modern horror? So today we're going to be talking about the one director or one man who has inadvertently been responsible for the modern horror revival in mainstream culture. The one, the only, James Wan. Woo! Asia, 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 Asia. I mean... Let's let's be real though. When I th- when I think of James Wan, I actually mostly think of Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> he didn't even do Tokyo Drift. I know. It's I th- I think I'm just racially stereotyped. <laughs> hey man, you're you're the guy that did uh, Tokyo Drift, right? Well, I actually did Furious Seven, but so Tokyo Drift. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, James Wan, you know, absolute legend, and he has basically very true. He has introduced this whole era of modern horror films he's done a few other films of course he's done fast and furious like you said aquaman blah blah he's done a shit ton of films but today we're going to be focusing on his horror credits um because you know marcus i know we had a brief conversation before we started recording in terms of james wan is a pie like he reintroduced horror to the modern context but he's also killed it absolutely killed it and i know like a couple of you listening will be like oh my god so controversial but hear us out this is what the whole episode is going to be about we're going to be discussing why he's a great director but why he's also killed the genre because of the country and the insidious franchise the key word is franchise here Mm. this is this is something we're going to kind of discuss but, Seb, would you like to kick it off? All right. So this is a movie that we talked about in our last episode. So we're probably not going to go too deep into it. It is his directorial debut, 2004's Saw. Dun, yeah. dun, dun. 
Yeah, like we said last episode, it's a great film, great writing, and you know it really kicked off the whole kind of like Saw franchise. It showed the world what James Wan can do, and I honestly think the first Saw is actually a sick film. I agree. First and the second Saw film are excellent, even though he didn't do Saw two, but. Saw one through three are great films. Uh, we kind of like touched base about this last time. I wouldn't consider them horror films. Mm. Uh, they're straight up. They fall into the category of torture porn mm-hmm. um, and, you know, like shock horror. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, great films. Saw one has one of the greatest twists mm-hmm. of all time, I for would sure. argue. For sure. And yeah, I think like, like we said last time, the beginning of Saw had so much promise and it was quite, like new and fresh i feel like there was a great plot twist there was a very interesting premise of ooh, like let's play a game and it's like crazy elaborate traps and shit it was very very interesting and you know it was like classic kind of at the edge of your seat kind of vibe and i think for a directorial debut that's pretty fucking insane like james wan actually crushed it so it was made on a budget of 1.2 million and it made a hundred and three million. That's pretty lit. Good on him. Like he must it. have just been there, like I have done a damn good job. Fuck yeah! Like he's legit. He's just out here, just like yeah, man. You know, just made a film for a mil, made a hundred hundred mil. You know, as you do. <laughs> but um, let's move on since we already talked about Saw last time. Now he did a few films called Dead Silence, Death Sentence, blah blah. But we're gonna skip immediately to insidious 2010 now marcus what are your thoughts on insidious all right this is a great film fuck yeah now i would argue that obviously because the first saw film came out in 2004 and insidious came out six years later mm-hmm. insidious is possibly the film that really like kicked off the the second horror revitalization and rejuvenation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i would just because it's 2010 so it's the new decade mm-hmm. in the last 10 years insidious is possibly the most one of the most important horror films 100%. because it's, it's a great film a very i wouldn't say it's like a crazy original plot but it mm-hmm. was original enough for it to be fresh for the cinema goer mm-hmm. it had genuine scares mm. and Dude, the soundtrack is mm, terrifying. Bashara, absolute legend. Yeah, I, I adore the Insidious film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one and the second one too. Mm-hmm. Really important films. And also, it kind of kicked off his signature uh, uh, look. He has this very particular aesthetic that he sticks to in the films. Um, and they hold up as with some of the best horror films of all time, I would say. Hell yeah. I mean, it's... We, again, mentioned this, like, in the last episode, but when I think of the best horror films of the modern era, I would gravitate towards Insidious and Conjuring, and they both came at that period of 2010 to 2013, so beginning of the new decade. And, yeah, like you said, I feel like Insidious is a great film. Insidious 2 is a great film. Watch them together. It's even better. Like, back-to-back, it's fucking sick and the way it ties together and stuff. And, I mean, everyone knows the moment that scared everyone in Insidious 1 where Darth Maul, I mean, red-faced guy comes out behind the woman and you've got that, like, like, that was perfect, you know? And 
like the fact that there has there is that iconic moment and it's genuinely like quite a spooky kind of premise i mean like you said it's not like that original but the idea of astral projection i remember at the turn of 2010 like 2009 to around 2014 astral projection was quite viral like quite a lot of people were into it quite a lot of people were talking about it maybe as a result of this film but i also know that proceeding to this film's release astral projection somehow kind of got into everyone's like everyday conversation somehow and i think james wan was able to you know capitalize on that and make such a very interesting film and it's and it's haunting you know it's it's the thought of like this kid you know he goes to sleep does an astral projection and at first he's like oh i can fly like a superhero blah blah and you're like, Peter Pan, man. that's cute and then he gets fucked and you're like oh my god uh, what's darth maul doing in this goddamn movie <laughs> huh um Oh, dude, can we just, like, highlight tiptoe through the window? Yeah. And it's funny because that's not actually from Insidious. That's an old song mm. that they just made. It was, if mm. you hear the original, it's terrifying. You listen to it now, you're like, what were people in the 60s thinking of? <laughs> Legit. Legit. LSD. That's what they were thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think Insidious, like, you know, it obviously started... Uh, James Wan's obsession with using Patrick Wilson, which I have no qualm against because I fucking I love, love Patrick, Patrick Wilson. Wilson. I he's in love almost him. everything he's done yeah, legit. recently. And I love it. Like Patrick Wilson's great. And again, it was another box office box office hit. It was made on a 1.5 million budget and made a hundred million. That's insane. Like that's like James Wan is just proving that he's, you know, just out here doing his crazy shit and just like smashing it um and like you said joseph bashara's music score to it was genius it kind of used that whole shining effect of like every scene has an intense like yeah i i definitely think the insidious film birthed patrick wilson as his kind of main leading man mm -hmm. joseph bashari i'm butchering that name mm -hmm. as his kind of like go-to sound mm -hmm. so it's great it's that like really loud like scratchy violin and mm. you know it's it's just so all of a sudden that's like you're like what the fuck it's, it's all that staccato violin mm. like it, i'm genius. all about it it's genius i'm all about it this film is a solid 8 point not like 8.9 i agree like, I, I love agree. this film this is a great uh, film you know what i would love to see internet i would love to see someone do a super cut where they put insidious one and two together oh, it definitely exists reddit like, reddit slash fan edits it's definitely a thing definitely a thing but um yeah so next up after insidious in 2013 we've already mentioned it james wild came out with the conjuring easily in my opinion i've already said this last episode and i'm gonna say it one more time it is a modern classic like no matter how many times i watch it i'm gonna love this film like it's sick i fucking love this film so much um and you know again patrick wilson's out here you know doing his thing i also really love um vera vera, vera farminga you know yeah. i've always been really obsessed with ed and lorraine warren um you know i've always loved like you know whether you actually believe you know what they did and and all of that is a whole other matter but i liked i liked their story anyway i think it's very interesting you know these two real demonologists and stuff but this movie oh my god i remember so distinctly when it first came out 
it was me and a bunch of friends from uh from high school and we went over to our friend's place for like a for like basically like a chill a, a shindig and we were like yo let's put on the conjuring and no one's seen it so we were like yeah fuck yeah man so we put it on holy mother of god Every, like legit it was all quiet like normally when you watch movies with friends you know everyone's like chatting shit and one guy's like hey man throw the popcorn blah blah but with this movie everyone just shut the fuck up and everyone was just like glued and then that one scene so very similar to insidious there's one scene that always sticks to people's heads and that is the hide and clap absolute <sighs> iconic shit right there i mean the darkness and and it was, it was like such a beautiful build up to that moment as well because we had a previous scene where they were all playing hide and clap and the mom you know she hears a clap coming from the wardrobe or the dresser she goes into the wardrobe finds that there's no one there and a few scenes later same thing happens she hears the clap she goes to the basement lights go out fucking shit terrified she goes up the sca- uh, goes up the stairs lights up a match Match goes out, lights up another one, and then from behind her in the darkness, just a pair of hands come out. And you're like, oh my fucking God! That absolutely scared the living shit out of oh. everyone. And I've got to say, Lily Taylor's acting in uh, the acting in all, like all of James Wan's films, mm. to be fair. I can't really dent any of the actors. Hell yeah. Because as bad as some of these films we're about to discuss, the acting throughout is pretty mm. solid. 100%. Like, James is very good at pick, picking actors. I agree. That that convey sheer terror. Mm. And honestly, like if you've watched The Conjuring and if you haven't, fuck off, go watch it. Lily Taylor, I think, is the standout in this film. Oh, for sure. No, like for sure. Like it. when she turns full Bathsheba, you're just like, holy hell. Mm, the chip. You know, and I, I this film literally still scares me. And the thing is, I think that's quite a rare statement for either of us to make. Like, I genuinely cannot think of another film that scared me in the last 10 years. I'm not even joking. <laughs> like, you guys listening might be like, oh, you're full of shit, mate. But not genuinely. This is the last time I was genuinely scared from a horror film. Okay, I- I'm going to say something that you're going to get really angry at. But the only horror film that scares the living shit out of me to this day is a uh, paranormal activity oh, <laughs> fucking grow up but but this is purely Shit because, film mate but it's a terrible film but this is purely because when i lived back in hong kong and i lived in uh typo i used to live in a i suppose it, i suppose the easiest way of saying is i used to live in a house that had a, a ghost in it and it brought back all of these memories. Mm. Whenever I watch that film, I can't sleep for at least a week because it brings back all these childhood like fuckeries. But I still don't believe in ghosts, though. I mean, it's like, just one you know, of those if, if like a, things. Yeah, you know? if there's like a personal kind of connection, then yeah, fair enough. It will scare you. To be fair, but um, but yeah, like we were saying, so Joseph Bashar, you know, he came back to do the Conjuring soundtrack, and it's equally as good. Like the opening credits of like the, I think it's better. I oh, think yeah. I think the oh, Conjuring yeah. sound this 100%. honestly, I genuinely think the Conjuring is a perfect horror film. I cannot dent anything in the film. Mm. Mm. No, I agree. I mean, I feel like this film is the most rewatchable horror film. I would say of all, well, up there of all time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just because like yes, you may know the beats and you may know all the scares and shit, but. 
I feel like it's such an easy watch as a horror film where you can watch it every year and you'll still be like, hey, that was sick. I've That's got to say, um, one of the most tense moments of the film is obviously the clap. But mm-hmm. i got to say, when Lorraine is holding the mirror oh. that has a spiral, that is some class A trolling. Because oh. nothing happens. But I remember every time you watch it, even, even though you know nothing's going to pop mm. up, it's the tension created using... Like the actress is is she's such a great actress. Bashar's she's perfect score for Lorraine well. mm-hmm. and Bashar's score and the cinematography. It's mm. it's tense. Oh, the cinematography is so good in this film. I mean, you know, everyone always talks about like the long shot of the one take between mm. when they're moving in and stuff. Yeah, that's mm. great. Blah blah. But like, just in general, the cinematography is so good. And okay, so this is where I'm gonna start. I think we can start talking about what in our opinion makes a good film in general and a huge contributing factor nowadays to modern films is cg i think that's obvious like every film in in modern history now has cg in it Mm -hmm. now certain films use it well i would say a film that has great cg would probably be mad max fury road because you don't notice that there's cg it's all the background shit it's a mix of CG exactly. and practical. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, say what you may about the 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 sequel trilogy of Star Wars, but the first Force Awakens was a perfect blend of CG and practical effects. I think later on it started getting more CG, but the first one, Force Awakens, was great. It looked great. And what made Conjuring so good was there was hardly any CG in it. Yes, there were a few moments, of course, where like you know people might be levitating or. You know, might, you might have to, like, brighten people's eyes or, you know, add the vomit effects and stuff. But other than that, it was mainly, like, a very... it's Well, it was done on a 20 million budget, but it was very much, like, a very realistic, grounded, you know, practical, in-camera heavy horror film. And that's what makes it so good is because there's no flashiness. There's no need to rely on you know, crazy CG effects. Everything was just done with the story, with the script, with the cinematography, with the music and the acting. And that's how what films should be, you know. There shouldn't be a, oh, you know, we're going to have all of this and all of that will make it into a 5 out of 10 movie and then we'll use the CG and then we'll, you know, add it, add to that. And you're like, well, nah, that's going to degrade it, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. I think in this case, in, in Conjuring's case, and Insidious, I think they worked so well because there was less CG. I agree. It's it's very much about finding a perfect balance between mm. CG and practical. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't use CG just because it's there. Yep, facts. It, like, okay, the probably, okay, I'm going to say the best use of CG is the first film that used real CG is Jurassic Park. Oh, mm-hmm. This is the perfect balance, in my opinion, mm. of practical and CG. Mm-hmm. They only use CG because they're like, oh, okay, I can't get like a you know a crazy velociraptor jumping around on mm-hmm. screen. That is too difficult to do with an animatronic. Fair play, and I think this is something that plagues all modern modern films, not just in the horror genre, but all modern films. Mm. The over reliance of CG because it's it's probably easier. It's I can't cheaper. imagine it's cheaper. It is, is, it, cheaper. is it really it is, cheaper? It is. I mean, like the thing is. Most executive producers are like, we want to save a quick buck and we want to save the time of having to, you know, hire these p- extra people to make these props. And they would rather 
you know everything be done in cg to save a little time and but then in the end they underpay the cg artists anyway and that's the thing most cg artists and this is after like you know reading lots of blogs and hearing this firsthand from cg artists most of them had they were they given enough time and money they would make they can make anything look sick that's the thing i mean um most of the time the only reason why the CG may come off as not as good is because the producers rush them towards the end or they pull funding and they're paid like fuck all time where they have to complete like 3,000 shots in four days. Hmm. So that is the main issue with CG because most like CG nowadays, the thing is, right, like CG has definitely come a long way. Like the things <laughs> you can do with CG is insane. Like you, we've definitely seen some amazing CG effects over time for sure. I mean, look at the dragons of Game of Thrones; they look amazing. Well, I, I was going to say, look at Moff Tarkin. Mo- yeah, I mean, there's still that I, uncanny valley vibe. There's still. the uncanny valley vibes, but you know, when you think of how far we've come, mm, exactly in the short space of time, Very true. It, it is it is ridiculous. Very true. And the thing is, that is when you know, like we can see the powers of CG, but. The issue is when it's unnecessary or when it's just too much. And like you said, you need to find that perfect balance. And it's difficult, you know? It's easy for people nowadays. I mean, as even as a photographer, the amount of times like a client or someone may be like, hey, just add it in post. And I'll be like, yeah, well, it's easier said than done, dude. Like, I have to match the lighting and blah, blah, blah. And it's the same thing with, you know, anything artificial and shit. I think, like, another great example of CG look uh, and practical mix, Lord of the Rings. You know, it's 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 perfect. And they that have, film holds up so well. Oh, yeah, still. 100%. Like, nowadays, if you're, like, if you're frame peaking and pixel peaking, like, frame by frame, then, yes, of course, you're going to find imperfections and some things may be a little dated. But that being said, overall, you know, it, it still looks good. And that's because, like, they only CG'd the bits that they genuinely can't do in real life. Well, I'm, I'm going to say the easiest way of compa- comparing this is you compare Lord of the Rings trilogy to the Hobbit trilogy. Oh, God. Exactly. Oh, Jesus. So you've, you've got Lord of the Rings where it is a perfect, tasteful balance. And then you've got the Hobbit, which is just an absolute CG clusterfuck. Mm, just and it plastic. already looks dated. Yeah. Nah. How legit. is that? Like, that film hasn't even been out. Like, that trilogy has not been out for even 10 years. Mm. And it does not even compare visually to the og trilogy yeah and that came out and that was made in 1999 to 2000 for fuck's sakes like it's crazy but going back to what we were talking about i think what makes insidious and conjuring such strong staples and almost the first go-to names that a person will say when it comes to modern horrors is the fact that there isn't that over reliance on cg and it's just a main focus on the characters and the writing and the acting and you know it's it's beautifully done i think conjuring like we've already said is one of the best horror films of all time and we have to give credit to james wan and the whole team it's a fucking sick film um i would like to add uh, one more point though go for it so i suppose it's really important to mention the james wan and i think this is from his saw days Mm -hmm. he has this uncanny ability to kind of very subtly introduce characters that will become important Mm. in his further films so case in point is the conjuring annabelle is introduced yep and we're going to be discussing her very shortly Mm -hmm. but 
it's his ability to subtly, and I think they're very, very still a lot of the time, even though like they're featured in the film. Mm-hmm. But you're you're not sitting there and you're like, ah, this is going to be like the main villain. Next minute, like five films later, Annabelle is the main villain in her own franchise. Mm-hmm. He's got this really good ability to write stories that intertwine with each other. Mm. Insidious 1 and Insidious 2, I think, is the best example. And because... the thing is, like, they're not forced as well. I don't feel like mm. it's, it's not really sequel baity. Um, no. You know, it's not like the Dark Universe and what they tried to do with the mummy and, you know, shoehorning in all these references to Terrible. establish a shared universe. It was very much like early days Marvel where, you know, it was just like a subtle hint, like a little cameo or a little, you know, mention and... Obviously, when Conjuring and Insidious One first became a thing, there were there was no promise that it would be a successful movie, let alone a franchise. So, I think you know, with that mindset and that kind of mentality going in of yeah, let's just tease a few little things, and you never know. And well, then at that point, obviously, James Wan probably already knew he was going to smash it. But still, there is that possibility, and I think that's why you know the way he his team kind of developed it and kind of like wrote it in very subtly, like you said, was really good. Um, but yeah, in terms of like box office as well for Conjuring, another huge smash. It was made on 20 million and made 320 million. So another huge hit. It is also rated 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I'm pretty sure is the highest rating of all the films that he's done. Probably, I think Aquaman might be higher actually. I, I think so. But nonetheless, for a horror film to get 85% is pretty rare, you know, especially nowadays and stuff. So have to give credit to that. And I fully agree. I think it's an 8.8 film. Dare I even say a 9, uh, 9 film. So I think it's lit. And yeah, we then kick off the whole Conjuring universe. Oh, boy. This is what it all goes downhill. But um, yeah, oh God, oh, I dread moving on. But 26, so then he made Insidious Chapter 2, which we already mentioned, another great film. It's definitely not as good as Insidious 1, but watching them together, very good experience. And it still had its like moments of, you know, charm and greatness. Um, but the story was definitely a lot less exciting as the first one with the, you know, the, the serial killer that cross-dresses and... She's an evil, you know, the black veiled lady and stuff. Yeah, it's a creepy that, visual. That was so not obviously the same, like, woman from the first right? film. And like, every time I watch it, I'm like, that is, you definitely thought of this after mm, you filmed this yeah. film. I mean, there were, there, but then again, you know, there were very cool moments. I think what mm. I loved about Insidious, like, I love Patrick Wilson. I love the, okay, love is a strong word for that little kid. But I think... Every, Dalton. <laughs> yeah, I just love the two brothers, like the two like paranormal um, uh, investigators, and of course, Elise. Uh, oh, I love Elise; mm. she's great. But yeah, Dalton and Lorraine. I know was it Dalton and Lorraine? Or was it like ah Specs? Sorry, Specs. Yeah, yeah Spe- those two are hilarious, man. What's the other guy's name? Tucker. Yeah. Is it Tucker? Yeah, it's Tucker, I think. I believe it's Tucker and Specs. Oh, those two were fucking hilarious. Who's Dalton? Dalton is the kid uh, who gets possessed. Uh, He's the dreamwalker. That's yeah. Okay, okay. So Specs and Tucker I've, and Elise. I gotta say though, like most of the time you and I hate kids in horror films. Mm, he Dalton, was alright. 
I don't mind. You know why? Because he's asleep for almost the whole yeah, film. Yeah, he was okay. So it's okay. Exactly. He was okay. He was okay. And do you know what? Well, yeah. I actually, like, I thought he was pretty well acted, TBH. Mm. I think Ty Simpkins mm. did a pretty good job. Yeah, the best children in horror are the ones that are just, like, asleep throughout <laughs> the whole film. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, Elise was really good. And, you know, they... She obviously dies at the end of Insidious 1, and but the way that she was brought back in Insidious 2, it still made sense. It was very interesting. I loved it. So Insidious 2 was another, albeit less of a hit, but still a big hit. And I think watching those two films together is just a great experience. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we move on to arguably the moment it started going downhill. Well, actually, okay, okay, actually, before we go into that, before we go into that, James Wan also was producer of the rest of the Saw franchise that came out before this period. So we had Saw 2, Saw 4, Saw 5, Saw 6, Saw 3D, Jesus <laughs> Christ. And like we already said in the last episode, we're not that big of a fan of the later installments, are we? Most definitely not. And mm. I think the thing here is, there are obvious parallels between the Saw franchise and the franchise that we're about to discuss. Mm-hmm. They they start really high, mm, and, just and then start the more decreasing. that were made, mm. the story became more and more stretched. Mm. I think now yeah. Saw, I think, is the best example because all of the Saw films got more and more ridiculous. Mm. And the ties between the films became more and more and more strained. It became stories. More convoluted and more kind of i remember so like yesterday for the sake of it i watched saw five because that's the one where the the guy gets crushed in the wall because after last episode when we talked about it i was like i wonder which one that one is i'm gonna watch (laughs) that one and there's so many like little references that they make and they're basically trying to explain how the the bent police officer starts working for saw uh and you know, it's it's like all these little hints and like nods to how this, like what they're doing in this film occurred in Saw 1 and Saw 2 and the timeline is all mad and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. How is he doing this here? And this happened in Saw 2 and you're like, oh, and it was just really confusing. And like you said, it just got to a point where I was just kind of like, right at first there were, you know, clever little subtle tie-ins but now that you're explaining it all it just starts not making sense and you're just yeah when you have to "Eh." google a legitimate timeline yeah of events that's when you know it's bad and also may i mention uh in regards to saw five we don't like bent coppers (laughs) bent coppers that's not a vibe that's a little uh deep cut reference to a great show line of duty um but yeah so the saw franchise started going downhill Mm such as life but now it's time we move on to the beginning of well i wouldn't say the end but the downfall of his other franchise so so yeah like we said the saw franchise kind of started going downhill which is very unfortunate but now let's move on to 2014's annabelle directed by john leonetti now james wan was producer and obviously like we said he started the whole Conjuring universe, and Annabelle was teased at the beginning of The Conjuring, and which spurred on its own solo film in 2014. Now, what are our thoughts on the Annabelle movie? So, not that great. Yeah, really, not really that not that great. great. It's not that great. Um, you know, Annabelle Wallace 
great actress, but I think the script was just a bit weak. Annabelle is is terrifying. Like she looks scary. Mm-hmm. The the whole like she's a uh you know the that could assault the soul of a cult follower who killed herself and she put herself her soul into the doll like that's that's really cool and i know it's based off a raggedy ann doll which is supposedly mm-hmm. the most haunted all of like the the mythology behind annabelle is really interesting but i think the execution of this film was mm. terrible it was overly reliant on jump scares yep. um and the pl- i mean the plot was really basic Mm-hmm. which is actually you know i can't really like dent that because you don't, you don't always need really overcomplicated plots i think the issue here was it relied very much on jump scares yep even though this is set within the james wan horror universe mm-hmm. this kind of had no real characteristics mm-hmm. of the universe exactly it lacked atmosphere very much so and it, the this is when the cg comes in I remember when Father Perez, like the priest in the film, he gets possessed towards the end. He has mm-hmm. this like horrendous CG face. Mm. And you're just there like, why couldn't you just practical effects that? Mm. Like slap some makeup on the dude. And I'm sure they did. And it was probably like you just like we like you mentioned earlier, it probably was like a we don't have enough budget and we're trying to rush this through because of the, the mm-hmm. success of the conjuring. Mm-hmm. But like, come on, man. Like this film could have been really good i i I really wanted to like this film Mm -hmm. because i like you crave quality horror films and insidious and the conjuring gave me so much hope for horror Mm. because it's been a long time since we've had real mainstream horror success and james wan was like i am jesus i'm here to bring you that and then annabelle came out i was like he's fucked it even though it wasn't him who directed it Mm. That's the but thing. he still produced it. Mm. And you'd think as a producer, this is his baby. This whole universe is his baby. Mm. You'd think he'd sit there and be like, what are you doing? This film is trash. Mm. You know, throw it in the bin. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Like, for me, it just doesn't seem like James Wan was involved in this. Like, I don't know. Like, it just is, for me, Annabelle and quite a lot of the other films we're about to mention seems like a fan film you know it seems like a very high budget fan film that ends up looking cheap in like like it, you know it just seems like it's not even part of the it's part of the universe but it seems like it was just a bunch of redditors that kind of like made it and the, you know what the sad thing is or what the cool thing is is the fact that a bunch of redditors probably would have written a better story and done it better than this pile of crap that we got it's not difficult my favorite review as well <laughs> of this is literally the scariest part was the acting that's just oh, so Jesus. savage <laughs> i mean in my in my opinion you know it's like i said lead actress annabelle wallace she's she's a good actor mm-hmm. you know she's a good actress um i just genuinely think that the script was poor the yep. story could have been way better yep it could have been, it, it should have, it could have, but it wasn't. It just, That's the, what this film is. It was just the most basic plot, very cheap, very formulaic, and it just comes off as just like a very cheap, it just comes off cheap. I think that's the main thing. It just comes off as very like, like you said, the expectations and the bar were set so high by the beginning of this Conjuring universe and 
and the James Wan like horror franchise that everyone probably went into this film thinking, yo, this is it. This is going to be it. We're going to get like the Marvel equivalent of horror films. And bloody hell, like this film was just so dull and like predictable. And, you know, it was just the most basic film I've ever seen. Like it's so unambitious. What made Insidious and Conjuring so interesting was the fact that it had, you know, glimpses of nuance and glimpses of, like, you know, freshness, you know? it Like, by no means is the story of Conjuring that original. Like, yes, it's a classic kind of, like, you know, person gets on, uh, possessed, blah, 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 blah. But it's the, it's the way they executed the story and... You know, it had flashes of kind of like, you know, this feels new. This feels fresh. This feels fun. And While this... also paying homage to all the classic exactly. horror tropes. And then in this film, it was just kind of like, oh my God, who shoehorned this shit? <laughs> it's like someone just randomly like, yeah, you, that will do. Yeah, okay, fine. I think it was the studio. This is And this is, gonna, this is a discussion and a topic that we're going to keep discussing throughout all mm. these films is when studios see that a film has made money, they're mm. like, oh, because, you know, we live in the age of remakes mm. and franchises and sequels. When a studio sniffs money, they're like, pump it, pump it mm. out. Like, keep keep following the formula mm. and just keep bringing the money in. Mm. But unfortunately, you know, only Marvel has really successfully mm. done that and Fast and Furious. God knows how, but they God have. God knows how in it. I think, like, yeah, I don't know why. It just seems like, for me, that James Wan didn't actually want this film to be made. Now, obviously, like, this is just, you know, me, my my perspective. Uh, I think there are probably going to be interviews where, like, you know, he, he's going to be very supportive and shit. But you never know if that's legit. But, like, in my opinion, it just seems as if, like, James Wan didn't even want this film to exist. And it was just the producers. And it was kind of like... Because, like, you know, we get this backstory at the beginning of the first Conjuring film. And I feel that that was enough, you know? I feel that that mystery of, like, not knowing, you know, how it came to be. And yes, you could say that it was setting up its own solo film. But I feel like James probably would have wanted to direct that film and probably would have wanted more time to develop that film. Whereas they wanted so quickly to jump onto this. Like, this came out a year after Conjuring. Yeah, so I mean, Seb and I both have the timeline of all of the films and, you know, films he's directed and produced. They are all back-to-back, mm. pretty much, from this point onwards. Mm. Like, Conjuring and Insidious Chapter 2 came out the same year. Mm. Like, he directed both of those pretty much back-to-back. And it's lit. Which is pretty mad. And it's pretty fucking you know? lit. But yeah, it, like, just, it just seems like, like exactly what you said. It just seems like warner brothers and the executives just wanted to milk this shit asap and i i feel like james you know obviously he he would say yes and blah blah under contract or whatever but i feel like in an ideal world he probably would have wanted you know a couple years to develop and make his own annabelle story because i feel like that was what it was leading up to and yet now when you look at it he actually hasn't directed a single annabelle film like he's only been producer on these Annabelle films. And it keeps on making me think, like, if, you know, if he created this whole thing, this whole Conjuring universe, surely James Wan would have wanted to direct this Annabelle film. You know? It makes you think. It really does. But I think while 
I mean, if you look at the timeline, I suppose he was doing Furious 7, mm-hmm. which made a lot more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, I as 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 a creator myself and as you are as well, you know, you want to look after your baby. Exactly. So, you need I feel time. bad for the guy. Exactly. That's exactly what I was talking about. Like, you know, like I just feel like he's working on other projects, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, you know, give him time to work on his own shit and then the and i feel like the the warner brothers are just like nah 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 needs to come out next year it's like oh okay. yeah it's like someone's just shitting on his children while he's out and working. yeah and then and then you know they're just like yeah we'll, we'll give you producer credit you know you can look over and shit and i feel like i don't know i just personally feel like james one at that point was kind of like all right fuck it you do the you do the annabelle shit yeah he's probably just like you know what i'm making money regardless yeah whatever so... as long as i like i think he still has that option to be like i'm mm. directing this next film mm. And, you know, this is literally where it pretty much goes downhill from here. Because mm. the next film he produced was Insidious Chapter 3. Oh, Lord. Oh, boy. So, uh, the only real returning character is Tucker, Specs, and Elise. Uh, and this is a prequel set before Insidious. And this is when we see Elise meet Tucker and Specs. And there's, like, this whole other thing. And the, I suppose entity or demon in this is the man who can't breathe now this film was trash oh like, my actually fuck. just trash. This, mate this film is so bad like this film is so fucking bad. i remember being so gassed at like because remember right at the end of insidious 2 there was a teaser of what was to come with you know elise and specs and tucker all going to this new family and then elise is like oh my god as she's like looking up and you don't know what she's looking at and cut and you're like <gasps> what's happening so then when they re- announced insidious free i was like oh surely it's gonna be about that and then they were like oh no it's- <laughs> and it's not <laughs> and, then, and then they were like oh no it's actually a prequel i was like fine i mean okay i guess so then the- and then when i actually watched the film the disappointment was so real i remember being i remember i watched this at uni i think and I think I was watching it with Ethan or like another uni friend. And I just remember turning around and being like, what the fuck are we watching? What is this? This isn't insidious. It's genuinely trash. And this is what this is like the problem. James Wan is producing, but it literally seems like he had nothing to do with this whatsoever. It's just a name. And this is something that plagues a lot of these films. Mm -hmm. His name is just attached to it. That is it. I don't yep. think he has anything to do with this. Yep. Very I think true. he just gets like a, a credit as a producer because he created the universe. Exactly. One hundred percent. I don't think he has anything to do with these films. Because if he watched Insidious three, although he does have a cameo in the film, yeah, that's that actually makes me question life. Because if he really did greenlight this film after he watched it, there's something wrong with this dude. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, at that point he was probably just like yo it's yeah, it's out of my hands now <laughs> he's probably like harrison ford at this point yeah like, legit he's exactly how harrison much? ford in this situation <laughs> just like oh fuck it yeah whatever um but yeah i mean i don't know i just felt like this third one was just so kind of like it was cg heavy acting wasn't mm. like amazing it wasn't bad it wasn't but great. it wasn't amazing like, the soundtrack wasn't amazing either and this is joseph bashara as well i mean the thing is it was just like a reviewer just said, and I forgot who said it, but I read it like earlier. He was just like, I mean, it's not that bad, but it's just very unnecessary. And it kind of just shits on the original two and a half. It's just the were. cash grab. And it's very true. Like, you know, like 
in my opinion, it's actually that bad. But exactly, like, there's no, like, why? You know, why make this prequel? Let's just fucking see whatever was teased at the end of Insidious 2. I know, it's like they're trying to subvert your expectation, but in a really, really bad way. And, and I, I do remember this film having some cameos. Like, I remember uh, The Bride in Black is very briefly shown in this, and Elise says some shit like, come on, bitch. You know, it's just like, is that supposed to be fan service? Like, mm-hmm. why are you showing The Bride in Black? You know, and then there's also, uh, what's this? The Lipstick Face Demon as well. Right. You know, like, there's all these little cameos of demons that you that you later in the film timeline but earlier in real time Mm. and you're just kind of there like but but why is it necessary Mm. like surely if this is kind of because this film is very much a standalone in that way oh yeah i mean at least lee's tucker and specs they don't ever mention like Mm. this film in the next film and Mm. you know all the other ones they've done so it's just kind of like what's the point of trying to fan service Mm. when you can't even fucking write the main ghost properly. Mm. It's like they're overly reliant on things that are from other films. You know, James Wan does it tastefully. It's not like I'm relying on on like Insidious 1 to make Insidious 2 better. It's mm. like I'm tying them in very nicely. Insidious Chapter 3 is just like we're trying to create a standalone film, but we're also relying on some of the scares from Insidious 2 and 1. Mm. And you're just there like, but why? like why not have the balls to go out and just write something that's good Mm. is that so hard like of course the cg shit that's probably because of budget reasons and you know the the budgets i think with these films is the budget slowly got smaller and smaller Mm -hmm. but again taste balance like come on man like it's uh, you know it's just another instance of kind of like very high expectations (laughs) and then just very big disappointment i mean the thing is i've only seen this once and that was because it was that bad Mm. where i watched it and was like they actually shit on something that was pretty fucking good and again yes like lots of critics really didn't like insidious 2 and quite a few actually said that 3 is better than 2 and i'm like fuck you that's a lie (laughs) like Yes, there were moments of kind of like, oh, you get a little bit more character development and shit in three, blah, blah, blah. And you get to relate a little bit more. And I'm like, the fuck off, mate. Like, this film is just so shoehorned in as well, in my opinion. It's just a huge, very obvious cash grab that, again, it just seems like James Wan was just kind of like there. I just feel like he wasn't that much. I don't think... The thing is, I doubt that he even wanted this film to happen. He was probably just there like, all right, cool. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have no say in this now, obviously, so fucking do whatever I, I genuinely think me. like a lot of these films are like that now. Mm. Uh, a lot of the ones we're going to be discussing, mm. all of his producer credits from now on, mm. pretty much. And the I'm thing pretty is, sure he has nothing to do with them. Mm. The thing is, like, with Insidious Chapter 3 being a prequel, the the classic issue with prequels is you know that they're going to make it to the next one. So you're just kind of there like, well, you're obviously not going to die, so who the fuck cares? Well, it would have been way cooler if they killed everyone but Elise and Specs. Mm. Exactly. Then I would have been like, all right, at least they had the balls. Yeah, but I think a a big issue with these as well, they're not, they're like all PG films, Mm. aren't they? Like they all, they're all like somewhat teen child. Mm. No, I wouldn't say child friendly, but I'd say, you know, 
15 tw- 12 and up could watch this is like was it what's that rating it's not pg it's PG like the 14 one, pg 13 these are all pg 13 films mm. therefore the scares are pg 13 therefore they don't fucking it's all exist just like, yeah it's all just jump scares and shit there's nothing I genuinely hate, terrifying I hate and jump stuff. scares yeah like, jump scares are nobody, fucking dead nobody does them tastefully anymore they're just like the whole film is just like non-stop jump scares mm. and you're just like fuck off you know that's that's not really create that's not really good writing it's not really good directing it's more like i'm just going to rely on you know just shit popping up sinister is that whole film is a fucking jump scare oh god sinister is fucking shit like yeah sure when the jump scare happens you're like whoa and then you think about it you're like that was shit see the thing is with sinister i mean a little here's a little tangent uh that we're not going to focus on too much but sinister is often regarded to be in the same ilk as Conjuring and Insidious. And I strongly disagree. Sinister had lots of, like, potential in terms of its premise and, like, you know, the fact that it was the kids doing it and it's, like, you moving to that house or, like, blah, blah, blah. That's what causes the demon to hit you. I think there were moments and there there were there was lots of potential where you were going to, like, okay, you know, this could be quite cool. This could be quite haunting. But the... For me, what kills it is just the way the demon looks just isn't scary. I feel like some of the, like like you said, the jump scares are just fucking dead. And I feel like with movies like this, yes, one or two jump scares, you know, very fine. But you need to focus on the general atmosphere and the anticipation building. And the thing is, with Sinister, there was that. There were glimpses of that. But I feel like the final act and just these moments of like crappiness you know just doesn't cut it and it just for me it just ruins the film a little bit with that kind of like the 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 way the monster looks and some of the cringy and you know shoddy dialogue plus the over-reliance on cg and jumps completely agree that film could have been that could have been yeah it just cheapens it yeah it had a great idea but it was just so cheap but i really loved the the super seven footage they used like those Mm. bits were really cool super eight super eight yeah but like Mm. those bits were really cool and ethan yeah ethan is such a great actor you know uh i'm not a big fan of ethan hall fair fair but i I, I love him he's great the only movie i liked him in was gattaca oh Oh, that that was great yeah what great he's he's great but yeah, anyway, tangent over, Sinister, let's not even mention that. But um, continuing, um, you know, Insidious Chapter 3, just a huge waste of fucking time. And it's, in my opinion, one of the leading examples of why modern horrors are failing. It's unnecessary, cheap, and just over-reliant on jump scares and shoddy writing. Mm-hmm. All right, so I think now it's time to finally move on to Conjuring 2. Now, I have a lot to say about Conjuring 2. I remember when it first came out, right? So it was my birthday, actually, 18th of June, 2016. It was a rainy day, and Marcus, myself, and another friend of ours, Gabriel, we all decided, what's the perfect way of celebrating my birthday? Now, I'm not a big fan of lavish parties or anything, so we were like, yeah, let's go watch a movie. And then we saw Conjuring 2 was in cinemas. Now, going (sighs) off of what we were saying earlier about how Conjuring is one of my favorite horror films of all time, you know, I think you can imagine how excited I was 
and everyone was. I remember Gabriel was being a little bitch about it. But <laughs> Marcus and I were like, let's go. It's going to be lit. We went to the cinema. We bought our popcorn. We bought our fucking tickets. We we're very excited. We went in. And it just went downhill. It was so fucking disappointing. And the thing, the crazy thing is, Conjuring 2 is universally loved. And I don't understand. Like, I think they're all wrong. They need to watch the It's so film. wrong. It's terrible. Conjuring cool. 2 is so bad. And the thing is, right, I feel, because I rewatched it last night prior to us making this episode, because I was like, right. I'm going to focus on Conjuring 2. So I rewatched it. And the beginning, like, I would say the first... You rewatched it? <laughs> oh, yeah, I rewatched it. So I, uh, so the first to midway of the second act, I was kind of like, okay, this isn't actually as bad as I remember. And then the creeping, the creeping man showed up. And the CG was so bad and jarring that... Even my flatmates who hadn't seen this movie before, they were like, wow, that looked weird. And I was like, oh my God, that looks shit. And from that moment onwards, it just started happening again and again and again, where the CG was so bad that it genuinely took me out of the film. Like the suspension with disbelief was just thrown out the window. It was legit. It was just like, yo, this just looks like shit. And right, here's the thing. So Conjuring 2... Uh, carries on the story. It's set after Conjuring 1. And now the story is set in England. London! So, you know, we were like, all right, you know, this is going to be a lot closer to home, or new home. And we are like, okay, this is going to be lit. And I would say, like, the act, like the acting of the kids and stuff, like, here's the thing. With all, with all films that have kids in it, there's a huge, huge, huge risk that the kids could ruin the film. Now, I would say the kids weren't particularly bad, but they weren't particularly good. It was just kind of like a middle-of-the-park kind of like, all right, you know, okay, fair. And I would say the build-up was pretty good in the first and second act. There were moments of like, yeah, not bad, not bad. Nothing genuinely scared me throughout the film, which is annoying. And I feel like, at least with Conjuring and Insidious, there were moments of like, whoa. There was no such moment in this film. The only closest moment that was kind of cool was the shadow of the nun. Now, this yes. is the film that introduced the nun, which then became another solo film and lots of tie-ins, blah, blah. But when... So, Patrick Wilson's character, Ed, he draws this painting of a nun, and it's a fucking terrifying-looking painting, and you're like, why the fuck? Do you have that in your house? But then again, when you think about it, they've got a full room of just haunted shit. So I was like, fair. So they put up this painting in the room. And Lorraine, she goes in. The lights all go out. all the And all the windows are shut. And then you see the shadow of the nun appear from behind the painting of the first Conjuring film, actually. It's the house in the first Conjuring. So that was a cool, cute little nod. But then you see the shadow emerge. And then it's just slowly walking across the room with Bashara's amazing score. And I think, again, Bashara fucking crushed it in this film. But the shadow just keeps slowly moving, and it has this haunting, like, which I really like. I think the nun's theme is great. And then the nun slowly walks and walks and walks and walks, and the camera's following, and it cuts to Lorraine's haunted face, where she's kind of like, oh my god, what the fuck is going on? The shadow finally goes 
behind the painting of herself and so that the silhouettes completely match. And then this is when they ruin that moment. When you slowly cut, you slowly zoom in and you hear like a really like cracking sound. You're like, oh shit, something's happening. And then you see some fingers come out. And at first from afar, you're like, oh, okay. But then the more you zoom in, the more you realize that it's a fucking CG hand. And Which makes like, no sense. And you're like, what the fuck? Why, Why can't you just paint someone's hand blue? What the hell? And then the other hand appears and you're like, wow, that's legit just CG. And then the nun manifests and she rushes towards Lorraine. And then another moment of just CG shitness is that the nun's mouth in the painting comes alive and it's got like lots of spiky teeth. And you're like, that looks like shit. That genuinely looks like shit. They had a be- they had an amazing moment with all the right beats and all the right build-up, and then it just fucking crashed and burned. And sorry, Marcus, I know I'm like hogging the mic right now, but no, there's no, a lot no, to no. say. There's a lot to say about this film. Because I agree with everything you're saying, because you and I were in the same cinema fucking mm-hmm. watching this. Mm-hmm. And that that exact moment you've just described, the payoff of that pissed me off so much that i don't even want to talk exactly about like legit. i genuinely think had is so oh, overrated it's, it's trash it's so like, annoying because i feel like there was so much potential with this film and i genuinely pissed off at this film because here we go like the food the movie actually opens up rather than in england it opens up in amityville and it starts off and you're like okay and it had you know, all the characters from the, well, not all, but like the team, like Ed and, Ed and Lorraine's team with the Asian guy as well, you know, in that first scene and you're like, hey, okay, we're back in the universe. This is lit. And they had a pretty cool scene of Lorraine kind of in a seance. She goes into a trance and then she's like walking around the house and she's basically reenacting what actually happened on the night of the murders. And when she walks past a mirror, her reflection is the guy rather than herself. And she, uh, they're holding a shotgun. He shoots everyone. That was a great opening. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, we're back. Like, James Wan's crushing it. Let's go. And then it just, you know, after the end of that scene, well, towards the end of that scene, Lorraine goes into a basement. And she sees, and then the nun makes an appearance, her first appearance in the film. And you're like, okay, there's a haunted nun. All right. And then uh, Lorraine is like, you know, who are you? What do you want? And the nun points at something and then the camera pans over and then you just see like all the furniture get blasted away and you're like, okay. And then you see Ed, a silhouette of Ed, and then he's suddenly impaled by his giant spike. And there, and for some reason, like that whole scene just looked very like, eh, like the spike looked really fake and like the, the furniture bursting off seemed very like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. It just felt really weird. And then like, Basically, it's explained that that uh, vision that um, Lorraine had of Ed dying was what scared her so much in the first Conjuring 1 because there's a reference, there's a flashback in the first Conjuring where Lorraine basically, she sucks herself away for eight weeks and because she had this vision, but you never know what that vision is. And now it's explained that the vision that she had was of Ed dying. And it's another you know example of like, really is that it like there were so many like you know amazing kind of like mystery boxes you could say in jj abrams style where you're kind of like yo like ooh, what was that vision that haunted lorraine 
And now it finds out it's just the CG mess of a nun pointing <laughs> at Ed being impaled. I, I would like, preferred if, eh? if you never found out. Exactly. Just never find out. Like, there's so much cooler about, like, not knowing the origins. The same thing with Annabelle. Like, it was cooler that it was just kind of, like, vague and, you know, briefly explained. And then we cut to England. And, you know, all this weird shit starts happening in England with the girl kind of, like, she's, um, she's begins sleepwalking. Sleep she begins sleepwalking and she teleports around the house and you're like, okay, you know, this is all right. Not too bad. There's one scene which I would say was pretty good. And that was when she's kind of flipping the channel. Well, the she's watching TV and the channels like start flipping on their own. So she goes up to the TV and she's like slamming the top of it. And at one point the TV just turns off and you see the reflection of someone sitting in the chair behind her. And that moment was like, oh shit, that was a cool moment. And the thing is, like like I said, in the first and second acts of this film, there were moments of, like, not bad, not bad. And then, you know, the payoff just becomes so bad. Like, that's the thing. Like, it had such, so much going for it. But in the end, and I think the third act is where it really goes to shit. So the main thing is that, firstly, CG's terrible. But the main thing is, if you know the name of the demon... You can kill it, which I think, or you can send it back to hell, which I think is kind of lame, but oh well. But uh, this is where it goes fucking like Scooby Dooey almost. So the demon throughout the film, uh, that the old man's ghost basically, <laughs> he um he speaks in garbled messages where it's like it help uh, it uh, help it let go, and then in another scene he says me won't and then you're like all right it's two like gibberish messages but then at the end ed had this had this moment of like wait a minute maybe like the both like both messages played together would make sense and then it becomes help me it won't let go and you're like oh that was a little scooby-dooey but i'm like all right cool because you kind of find out that like you know the, the ghost was just being used so you're kind of like oh who's actually behind this but then when you find out that the demon can be, you know, defeated by knowing its name, that was that's the first kind of like, okay, this is kind of dumb now. But for what made me really pissed off, and this re-pissed me off last night, which is why I'm so, you know, passionate about this whole topic right now. At one point, when um, Lorraine had this moment with the nun, she asks the nun, what is your name? And apparently the nun just tells her, and you're like, why? If the nun knows that if anyone knows the name and it could defeat it, why tell her? All right, we, we allow it. We allow it. For the sake of the story, we allow it. And then, this is where it's even more stupid. When the demon tells Lorraine its name, Lorraine writes it. Well, she kind of scratches it into a Bible. And this is when they're in America. And basically, she writes the name in the Bible Boom, a few weeks pass, they're in London and shit. And we go to the final climax of the film and Lorraine is like, what is your name? And then she suddenly remembers, I know your name. I wrote it down. And then she's she rushes to her car and is like, I need my Bible. And you're there <laughs> thinking, wait a minute. So you destroyed this Bible by scratching it into its pages in America. And you're telling me that you brought that same Bible to... London, weeks later, 
I'm like, bro, fuck off. You've got like five Bibles. Like, I, I, I don't get... Okay, all right, all right, we'll allow it. She finds the Bible that she ruined, gets the name, and then she's like, right, now I know the name. And now at this point, you're already like, right, you know the name. That's easy then. But she still dilly-dallies and spends like the next 10 minutes like wading through the film. She reaches the final room and, and she sees the demon and Ed is about to fall and he's like holding onto the girl and they're about to fall into this huge ass tree, which is meant to be like the scene where she envisions Ed gets impaled. But rather than screaming out the name, because we already know and it's already established that screaming out the name is what you need, she's still there like... Oh, you're a demon, you're unholy. <laughs> and then after like five kafillion years, she's finally like, now I know your name. You are Valak. And then the minute she says Valak, the demon's just like, <laughs> and shrivels up. And you're like, fam, if you knew the name and that's all it needs, just fucking open the door and be like, Valak, done, problem solved. See, no, no, even, even more. If the demon has to tell you his name, they could have sorted this out in America. Right? Legit. Why did you just say there? Oh, so your name's Valak. I compel you about to tell. Yeah. They, they could literally just chill in their house, get phone calls from people around the world, be like, yeah, I've got a demon in my house, mate. And you just be like, all right, then just, just you know, put me on loudspeaker. <laughs> what is your name, demon? <laughs> exactly. And then eventually, eventually you'd get an answer. And then you'd be like, all right, then. I can't help you back to hell. <laughs> yeah, and it could literally be an exorcism phone service. Yeah, and the, and the thing is, like, now that you know that, it just kind of makes it like, what are there stakes anymore? Like, why Like why do we need to be worried anymore at this point? Because if all you need to do is ask the demon what its name and it's compelled to tell you, then all you need to, legit, like, all you need to do is just like, cool, your name's Tom, bye, boom, over, case closed. And, you know, I just feel like the, the shit third act, the shoddy CG... And yes, the acting is still good, the score is still good, and there are still moments of brilliance. It just really ruined the film for me. And it was just kind of like a huge kind of like, oh, what's the point now? You know, and I hate when films give you that moment of like, oh, what's the point? It's the same moment, it's the same feeling I got when I watched the sequel trilogy, uh, sequel trilogy of Star Wars, where it ends with like a, oh, what's the point then? Same thing. What's the point? You know, and... It's just sad. It's just because, like, I feel like there were, again, so many chances for this film to be sick, but it just ended up being so dead and disappointing and generic and formulaic and just, again, just too over-reliant on CG. Like, no, none of the scares were particularly scary. It was all quite basic, and it's a very predictable horror film. I feel like at least with Conjuring 1 and Insidious, there were moments where kind of like, you think that there's a jump. So one of my favorite things, and I feel like Marcus is the same for you, is when you're watching a horror film and you've seen so many, it gets to a point where you're kind of like, right, jump scare coming in three, two, one, and then it happens and you're like, wow, this is shit. Like, for me, when that happens, that's when you know a film is predictable. There's definitely a formula that most films sure. seem to follow For nowadays. Sure. And the thing is, with movies like The Shining and movies like uh, Insidious 1 and Conjuring 1, it plays on that, where it, ex where it knows you expect a jump scare, and then nothing happens, and you're like, oh. And then it happens again, and you're like, oh. And then the third time it happens, you're like, oh, shit. I thought it wasn't going to happen. Whereas this time, there was none of that. This time, it was genuinely like, jump scare coming in three, 
to what? Yep, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. All right. Camera only showing the feet. Let me guess. When it pans up, it's going to be something scary. Yep, there we go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that was just it. That was genuinely it. That's my piece on Conjuring 2. Yeah, I don't even need to say anything. Seb said it all. Uh, I genuinely think that film was trash. Polish overrated. We move on because we're not wasting any more time on that because Such it literally kind of does just get even worse from here. Yep. Um, although, although I look at what we're going to be discussing next and this film is better than Conjuring 2 and this is kind of separate. This is not really in his universe. This is Lights Out. Ah, yeah. Okay. Now, this Lights Out is a film by David F. Sandberg. Mm-hmm. And he, if I'm not mistaken, did the original YouTube short mm. for Lights Out, which was was and is still quite fucking scary. Yeah. Super basic concept. And I think this is actually one of the scariest concepts very like, true. for horror. Very, very Because it's literally just like, you're fucked if you don't have a light on, mate. Mm-hmm. End of story. So, what do you think of this film? Because I actually liked this film up until the end. I think it's pretty solid. Uh, I wouldn't say it's amazing, but I also wouldn't say that it's bad. Like, mm. I feel like... Uh, I feel like I might be biased because I'm a huge fan of Teresa Palmer. Um, simply because I watched her in I Am Number 4 and I had a huge Same. crush on her. <laughs> but, um... Oh God, that's a deep cut. What a shit film I Am Number 4 is. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I felt like, you know, the premise was scary. And like you said, it does kind of falter towards the end. And, you know, there are moments of, like, cliche and very, you know, it's it's kind of like, eh, you know. <laughs> I think I think a big issue with the film is because the concept is so simple mm. of, I can't even remember what the, the monster's name is, but the concept is so simple that even though this film is only an hour and 20 minutes long, mm-hmm. it should have, it, honestly, like, it could have been an hour. Mm. Um, and also the characters make some really illogical decisions throughout the film. Mm. You know, the, what is it? Cinema Explains does, they do a Lights Out episode. Mm-hmm. And you watch it and you're like, it kind of ruins the film almost because you're there like, yeah. Mm. Yeah, everyone in this film is kind of stupid. Because the second you realize that the monster needs the darkness, you're just there like, well then. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Suppose I go live on the sun. <laughs> uh, touche. <laughs> no, but like, honestly, you know, flashlights, yeah. Yeah. candles, mm. you know, and, and the, the second that they decide to go in the basement, you're just there like, come yeah, on, mate. You know, come on, Exactly. Mate. I feel like it's one of those films where, like... Characters make illogical decisions exactly. that no real person and would make. And I hate when movies or TV shows establish characters that have somewhat of common sense and a logical mind and i think this is also very prevalent in saw films where like at the very beginning of a film i'm mainly going to be talking about saw 5 because i watched it the other day in the beginning of the of the saw 5 film you had someone that was like okay you're pretty smart like you're pretty logical it seems because she kind of comes out and she takes a key and she's like oh yeah you know i'm thinking ahead and shit and then so they establish that this character has got somewhat of a brain and then suddenly They'll make a really dumb decision. There's like, what the fuck happened to your brain? And then at the very end, they reintroduce the brain and she's kind of like, oh. And it's the same thing with this film and so many films where 
I hate when they have to dumb a character down that you've established as being somewhat competent to progress the plot. I hate when they do that. Like, it annoys me so much. It vexes me so much when, you know, someone makes an just a stupid decision and you're like, if you establish this character as stupid from the get-go, I can forgive that. But when you establish a character as being a normal human being with normal intelligence, I'll be like, you wouldn't make that mistake. Let's be real. Why the no. fuck are you going to a basement? Or no, another reference to the previous episode. Why are you having kids in a fucking world where you can't make sound? Like, it's the same thing where you're like, you're I, normal I humans. all the time. Uh, the biggest, I think the problem with horror, like all horror films, and this plagues all horror films from, from now to like the very beginning, mm -hmm. is the second that characters make these stupid, illogical decisions. Yep. You kind of like, you, your suspension of belief is then just like destroyed yeah no facts because you're just like come on man like legit in your right fucking mind if your mum was being haunted by some like demon or some shit mm -hmm. and she gives you a little note saying help the logical thing to do yeah is just like slam that door down with like the biggest fucking ikea light you could find it'd be like <laughs> yeah come at me motherfucker <laughs> no, you know, legit. Like, yeah Legit. You know, and like literally just have like a billion hand wind, mm. uh, hand winding, or like, you know, in the day, mm. literally fill your garden purely with solar lights and be yeah. like, yeah, fucking try me now, bitch. Legit. Turn the power off the sun. Yeah, you know, legit. like, I, I just don't get it, um, you know, and you I know, mean, yeah, it sounds think... like we're actually shitting on this film, but I actually really. It's, yeah, it's film. not a bad <laughs> film. That's the thing. It's not a bad film. It's just like, you know, it's a very common trait. And I think this is a huge huge thing that plagues modern horror well horror films in general is stupidity and i feel like this is more of a trend nowadays because i feel like back in the day with classic horror films there are moments where like the people don't make stupid mistakes they don't make stupid decisions it's just that the demon or the or the whatever's fucking them is genuinely just like unbeatable or something or like you know no matter what you do you can't beat it whereas nowadays in lots of these films the demon might be unbeatable, but the characters just aren't helping themselves. And you're kind of just there like, why? And I think that is one of the biggest issues alongside with cheap scares and bad CG is the writing of characters in horror films is just slowly going nuts. Like slowly going more dumb and dumb and dumb. Because, you know, I feel that like, I would say a good example to counter this would be an example we made in the last episode with It Follows. The kids come up with a dumb idea because they're kids, you know? Same thing with like something like It or anything with kids involved. They make a dumb plan because they're kids. And yet, look at Stranger Things. Like, yes, they've made some dumb plans, but also these kids have also made, you know, pretty decent plans because they have common sense. And if kids can have, you know, somewhat good ideas that are realistic to their age, think about an adult in a horror film. They'd be able to think and, you know, do things logically, surely. And yet, you've got all these films that are meant to be realistic and grounded and, you know, not cheesy, blah, blah, set in a modern day. And you've got people making decisions like, 
Let's go explore the haunted mansion. Let's split up. And you're like, well, you're just fucked. Like, why? And, you know, I feel like screenwriters and stuff, having to resort to that plagues the horror industry. People can't take horrors in, uh, seriously anymore because you just know for a fact that it would never happen. And I think that's why nowadays we don't we can't find good horror films because half the time you're kind of like, well, that won't happen because no one's that dumb. Well, I mean, it's like, a, what's the character in Scream? The one who's literally like woke and he's seen like every horror film known to man. And he's just there like, when I turn this corner, <laughs> there's going to be a dead body here. Yep. And then he like sees what he's like, I fucking knew it. The logical thing to do here is leave the fucking house. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm not staying here. He is what everyone would be like in real life. Exactly, 100%. It's, it's, it's this weird thing where, like, when you watch a horror movie, almost all these characters, have, it's like they've never seen a horror film exactly. in their life. You're exactly. just like, come on. Like, even the fucking Lion King is educational. Exactly. Don't trust booky motherfuckers. Don't do booky shit. And That's like, it. I feel like there there are instances, and I can't name any right now, but there are there have been instances where movie characters almost call out these traits in a, in a meta way of like, yeah, you know, I know what's going to happen. And yet they'll still do it. It's, yeah, it's, it's like weird. the screenwriter would acknowledge the faults in his own script by giving the guise of it being meta and be like, ha ha ha, I'm doing it anyway. I'm doing it still, even though I know it's a it's a cliche. And you're like, that doesn't make you that makes you even more guilty. That even makes mm. that makes you even more shit. <laughs> yeah. And and I think the main thing is nowadays we're getting lots of horror movies with great premises and great potential, but it's always the execution that that falters it. It's always the decisions of people of their characters that fault them that's the main issue if we look at conjuring one again that's this is going to be my go-to example for all the modern horror films no one really makes a dumb decision in that film everything just kind of happens regardless you know it's almost as if they have no power they have no you know say in what happens and when you think about it, it's really, like, quite realistic. You know, the, the dad's always away because he's working. And the mom, it's not like she does anything dumb. In fact, she's pretty smart. She goes actively finds Ed and Lorraine because she knows she's being haunted. You know, and the kids, no one makes a particularly dumb decision. And it's not like... There isn't a moment where you're kind of like, why are you doing that? Whereas in Conjuring 2, I got that every five seconds. It was like, Why? Uh, Why? A, lot of, a lot of the films on this list are, are very much like that. They all fall mm. into this realm of like, mm. why are you doing that? Exactly. You know, and I, I think, I think <laughs> we, it literally sounds like we've just destroyed lights out. I actually really think it's actually a really good film. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty good. good. And moving on, I actually quite like this film as well. And I don't think you do. Annabelle creation. Annabelle creation. Is that the one now, where it's this set is a prequel? In the wet in the wild west with the nun and like the couple yeah. of kids and shit. Yeah, it's so all right. Is, it's not bad. It's not I bad. actually, I admit, the story's pretty decent because it is like the creation of Annabelle, who Annabelle is, mm -hmm. you know. And long story short, mother and a father mm -hmm. lose their kid. He's a doll maker, makes a doll. They mm -hmm. invite Annabelle. Well, they invite their daughter spirit into their house, but it's actually mm -hmm. a fucking demon. Demon possesses Annabelle. Mm. 
you know, they lock it in a closet, yada, yada, yada. There were a few, kids come in. There were a few moments in this film that were actually pretty scary. Dude, there there are some decent scares. And uh, these are tasteful. Uh, I might actually revisit because I, I actually really enjoyed this. Um, one spe- well, there are two scenes that kind of stick out to me. Um, I think scene number one, and big up to David F. Sandberg because he actually has a YouTube video, uh, YouTube channel that's pretty active. I love him. Um, but in this one scene, it's kind of like the it's like the mom walks in, and she sees this little girl, even though she's not supposed to be there. And then she kind of morphs into like an adult, mm-hmm. and then into like a demon. And the way that they did it, rather than using CG. Dave, David Sandberg in a YouTube video was just like, yeah, fuck using CG. We just had a contortionist uh, girl just kind of like, you know, create these weird shapes of her body. And then we just kind of like did some smart editing. And I was like, yo, this looks sick. And then there was another mm-hmm. moment where I think she was in a bunk bed or something. And then she kind of looks down and there's like something like, yeah. oh, like there were moments and, where yeah, it was like, yo. Barn with the scarecrow. Mm. I, I think I actually, you know, I, I want to revisit this film because... I've seen it think twice and both times I genuinely liked it. And there were mm. bits where I actually felt quite on edge mm. and there are like really tasteful scares in this. Mm-hmm. And I think it really is down to Sandberg. Mm-hmm. Like he's actually, a, you know, he did lights out too. Mm-hmm. I, I like him. The I way like he, him. the way he writes his scares are very tasteful. Mm. You know, they're not, there are jump scares naturally, but not everything is a jump scare. He mm. does things nice and subtly mm-hmm. and I, I i really appreciate that sometimes yeah. i actually like subtle horror sometimes yeah, like, for uh, sure. last night i rewatched the new halloween film mm. there's a lot of subtle bits in the film where like michael myers is just like wandering in the background you know what i mean and mm. you're just like ooh, ooh. and I, I like that kind of subtle horror as well as you know uh, the occasional jump scare if done tastefully mm. now the ending of this film I gotta say, pretty cool. It's sick. Mm. <laughs> now, Seven Eye destroyed the first Annabelle film because it's genuinely trash. But if you remember or have seen it, spoiler alert: the ending of Annabelle Creation. Basically, the demon wins. <laughs> mm-hmm. The demon possesses Janice in the end. Uh, Janice also is no longer crippled, so good on her, I suppose. <laughs> um, she escapes. Uh, she goes to an orphanage and a nice little cameo at the end from Raggedy Ann. Mm-hmm. And you, you, if you're really paying attention in that moment, you're like, hmm, I recognize these people who have just adopted her. Mm. And then it jumps into the beginning of the first Annabelle film yep. when the same parents who just adopted Janice are getting Murdered. wrecked mm. by Janice because she is actually demonic. Cult shit. And then yeah. she goes into Annabelle's body and you're, you know, as shit as the first Annabelle film is, I've got to say, Annabelle Creation's actually quite good. Annabelle Creation's decent. And yeah, like you said, I it's like the ending. I like <laughs> It's like that Rogue One kind of vibe where it ends on the beginning. Ugh, or like can't the, compare. Or like the you end can't of compare. the... Rogue like One ending end, is just like oh yeah, so course. sick. Like, yeah. like, like, like the end of the Hobbit film, like the third Hobbit film, it ends with the beginning of Lord of the Rings. I like those kind of moments. I like that kind of shit. Even mm. though... Mm. The first Annabelle was terrible. Creation had good moments. I don't rate it as highly as you do. I think it's middle of the park. I would say it's a lot better than Annabelle for sure, which I guess well, you know like, makes it right. Yeah. But um, I mean the Annabelle like movies, they're actually huge financial successes. I mean they Annabelle are. Creation was made on fifteen million and made three hundred million. 
That's pretty insane. But um, yeah, I would say Animal Creations probably one of, probably the best spinoff from the Conjuring universe, and there's quite a few. Um, I agree, hands down. But yeah, you know, not bad, not bad indeed. Um, so Animal Creation was in 2017. Haha, <laughs> we move into and then the nun. 2018, we had the nun. So the nun, <sighs> like we said, was introduced in Conjuring 2. She had a brief cameo in Annabelle Creation. And that's the thing. We're getting into that like realm now where lots of the characters are crossing over, lots of subtle little hints. So the nun she so the the one of the main characters in Annabelle Creation is a sister. She's a nun and she's looking after all these kids. And in one of the photos that she's showing to the kids, it's like a, a bunch of nuns. And then in the shadows at a certain like brief second, you see the evil nun, who is mm. obviously the titular character of this film that we're about to talk about. Now, James Wan was producer on The Nun, so he, he didn't actually direct it. Um, what are our thoughts on The Nun? Just disappointing, really. I mean, everything that we have discussed for Annabelle and Insidious Slappy and the Insidious Chapter 3. Everything mm -hmm. applies to this film, mm -hmm. but tenfold, because this film is actually terrible. Um, it's full of really bad CG. Mm. Like, The Nun could have been such a great, oh, yeah. great scare, but they overly relied on CG, mm -hmm. and it ruins it entirely i think for me what made it really like uh, see here's the thing i don't particularly hate the nun film i think it's like pretty bad nonetheless i would say it's like a four out of ten but i wouldn't say it's dead shit because there were a few moments where i was kind of like eh, that's pretty cute but i don't see it as a horror film i f i see it as i don't know it's like a weird like it's a horror film that's not scary at all and in fact, it was quite ridiculous at times. And I would go ahead and say that it reminds me of a B-movie horror where it's kind of like <laughs> gimmicky. Because there's this, the whole plot of this film involves them using the blood of Jesus <laughs> to fight the demon. That cracked me up. Like, I remember watching it yeah, for the first time. Pretty... I was like... The blood of Jesus? <laughs> huh? What do you mean? Blood of Jesus. And like, it's like, there like, what the fuck? And like, yeah, she crushes it with her mouth and spits it into the blood, uh, into the face of the demon. And you're like, yo, this is a fucking beer movie, man. Come on. Mm. It's about nuns fighting each other and Jesus' blood. <laughs> it's fucking mad. But um, like, who wrote this? You know what I mean? Like, see, who wrote this? The thing is, like, there were moments where this film... I feel could have been sick. Like, I really liked the opening where all the nuns get fucked by the demon, like, dragging. Oh, yeah, yeah, And, yeah. like, you know, the nun commits suicide and the ultimate sacrifice and her body's, like, hanging. And then, like, Maurice, mm. the French guy, he comes in and he sees her, he's like, what the fuck? And the set design, I thought that was all pretty cool. And then, this is a cool little bit of, like, cool casting, but they had... um. Thaisa Farmiga, who's the sister of Vera Farmiga, who plays Lorraine in The Conjuring, as the main character of this one, and she's meant to be, like, a nun who's helping a priest to defeat That's this evil cool, nun. Yeah. That was pretty cool casting. But, again, there were just too many moments where this film felt very farcical. It mm. felt very, like, B-movie. It was very comedic. I, oh, I do remember, though, that there was 
one bit where like there are a bunch of nuns in the chapel but they're not actually there oh yeah like, yeah that yeah. Bit was kind of yeah cool. there were genuinely moments um, of like not bad and you know i i really wanted this film to be great because like i said like the nun is a could have been a really iconic horror character. Mm. I suppose she is anyway, but mm. she could have been a, a very good, yeah, very good character. one, exactly. Uh, but you know, it, again, the balance was all over the place, way too heavy on the CG. Mm. And although I did like the ending where Frenchie, yeah, uh, is is the guy from Conjuring One's flashback, one where they're who, giving the yeah. lecture to the students, and even though showing, they look nothing alike, yep, and they're showing, you know. <laughs> In in Conjuring One and Two, actually, they're doing this lecture to uni students, and one of the mm-hmm. examples they make is a previous case where they had to exercise a demon from a Frenchman, and it turns out that the that guy is this guy in the movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the thing is, it just feels very like not serious, you know? It just felt very like. Eh, like this is part of the Conjuring universe, and again, there were okay, another thing that was really jarring to me was there was a scene where the priest gets buried alive, and then for some reason, the nun, the main character, she's able not not the evil uh, nun, sorry, so the sister, she's able to find him in the graveyard amongst like fa- hundreds of unmarked graves. Absolutely she's able to impossible. find, him. and you're like, eh, hello, fuck. What the hell? And yeah, there were just moments of like, you know, Dubex Machina kind of vibes of like, you know, people having these revelations or sudden kind of like moments of like knowing where the priest was to save him. It was just a very like normal generic story that had cool moments, kind of. Just disappointing. And yeah, it was just very disappointing. And for me, it just seems like a very like not intentionally funny film and i think that's the worst thing a horror movie can be yeah this this film is what i categorize as a would have should have for sure would have been good and it should have been good but it was trash and yeah like you know there there were just terrible terrible cg moments and for me what honestly just gets me is the fucking blood of jesus bit like that's just so dumb why is there blood of jesus i I forgot that was even in the film because honestly i've seen it once and now i was so like I mean, I'm not even surprised anymore when I watch these things because mm. you just—they're like, this is not going to be great. But this one, especially, I was just like, this is like almost this is a joke, mm. you know. And uh, we're moving on because, like, literally, it's a waste of time. It's just such a shame. It's such a shame. It is such like, a shame. I'm a huge fan of Taisa Farmiga, mm-hmm. and again, I just feel like you know, they're American they're they're they could have been good. There could it could have been good, but it's mm-hmm. just. Too weak a narrative, over-reliance on jump scares. It made a shit ton of money, though. $22 million and it made 365 so... Yeah, it's, it's funny, right? It's like... But I think this is the problem. Mm-hmm. But as long as these fucking films keep making money, they'll keep spewing them out, regardless mm. of how critically panned they are. Because mm. like, almost all of them are critically panned. Mm. Like, none of these are even, like, a six. Hmm... You know, and this next one is no exception. It's Insidious Last Key. Oh my <laughs> god. All right, all right. I'm not even joking yet. I watched this film on, on my... Basically, my, my kind of ritual of watching horror films is I like to watch it on my own first before I recommend it to anyone, especially you, Marcus, because I want to be... Because when you watch it with friends, it's very easy to not be scared. So I always give it a test run. Of watching on my own if i'm if i'm scared on my own then i'll be like all right it's all right 
This film is so bad. Like, again, it had so much potential of genuinely terrifying moments. I remember, this is the only scene, I'm not even joking, the only scene I remember from this movie is when the demon puts a key into someone's throat to turn off her voice. I was like, that's a pretty cool moment. And the rest of it is just so forgettable. I genuinely cannot remember what happens in this film because on the day watching it, I just remember it being so bad. Uh, I mean, from what I remember, Elise goes back to her childhood home. The the key monster is there. Mm-hmm. Her father was actually a murderer and a rapist. There was actually oh, someone yeah. living in the basement. Yeah, I'm starting um, to remember you this. Know, like, in that aspect, it's kind of cool to see Elise's past. Mm-hmm. But it felt kind of forced to me because I was just like, for fuck's sake, how crazy is Elise, Elise's life? You know what I mean? I'm just like, okay, mm. I get it. She's like fucking psychic and shit. But like, Jesus Christ, you know? Um, this is, I think this is a very much would have, should have, because, especially because we're, we're visiting Elise's past. Mm. This could have been quite cool. It's just the execution was terrible. Like the key, the key concept for the monster is quite interesting. Mm. But I just think, I mean, when you actually look at the monster as well, See, with the, like, the I actually buck, disagree. The buck teeth and shit. I, I was just like, come on, man. I like, disagree with your point of this would have, could have, because I just genuinely <laughs> don't think this film needed to exist. Like, mm. there, for me, it was never going to. Oh, the past of Elise. I don't give a fuck, all right? I feel like it's, again, same problem. It's better to just guess, you know? And we've all, and the same thing, it's a fucking prequel. She's not going to die. She dies in, you know, Insidious 2 or at the end of Insidious 1. So what's the point? You know, there, again, this film just doesn't, doesn't need to exist. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I completely agree. This film does not need to exist. When I say would have, should have, I'm not saying it needs to exist, but I'm saying if the film had to come out and it could have been better, it really should have been better, <laughs> you know? Because, like you, I don't give a fuck about Elise. I feel like I love Elise. The thing is, I love Elise. It's just like, you know... Not anymore. I I only care about one and two. Everything else, like, is irrelevant to me. I I just feel like it's the same thing as, like... I don't know. First thing that comes to my mind, Mamma Mia 2. Like, making a young Meryl Streep, you're just kind of like... You're not going to be able to top the original performance. We don't need to know about her backstory. It sounds pretty self-explanatory. So the same yeah. thing with this, you know, the original actress for Elise, fucking amazing. I love the old lady. She's fucking great. And yes, I feel like, you know, the young, the young actress that played Elise, big up to her. I think she actually looks like a young version of the older version, mm. big up. And it was kind of weird that they like super imp- well, overdubbed her voice with the old one's voice yeah, and kind of merged man. the two, which it's is kind of weird. weird. But I was like. I don't need to know this. I think it's mm. like we pretty much self-explanatory. She can astral project and she can look into the further. Like, all right, cool, cool. Also, did Elise just name all this shit on her own? Like, I'm pretty sure she came up with the names of like yeah. the further and like yeah, and no, all that stuff. Did. And I'm just like, okay, fair. It's like I mean, you know I, when I gotta... it's like you know at the end of Star Wars, the Clone Wars. Oh no, sorry. Uh, Attack of the Clones. Yoda just like begun the Clone Wars has, and he's just yeah. like, "Did you just name the war for everyone?" Yeah. I mean, okay, fair. It sounds kind of cool. I mean, but... it sounds sick. Huh. But like, yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely think she did. I mean, and I've got to hand it to Lin Shay, who plays Elise. Mm. She's she's a great great actress. Mm. 
you know, she's been around for like ages, but mm. I think I honestly think that the last ten years since Insidious came out, she's literally only been in horror films and mm. has only played the same role over. She's like milking it. Good mm. on her, because you know at least is a likable character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the second she died in Insidious two, I more than comfortable in never seeing her return. Mm. Um, but unfortunately. That's not the case because people love her and people love watching her and fair play, but I think stop the, making shit films. The like. thing with Insidious, like you very much said, and I very much agree, is I think it just run its course. You know, I feel like that's kind of it, and there's no and like anything that comes after two was always just gonna like the thing is they they ended two with such a good cliffhanger that was kind of like fuck yeah but everything they've done since has been a prequel and you're kind of like i mean why like you know that we kind of want the third one i don't give a shit Mm -hmm. about the prequels i want the third one i want the continuation of the story and now we're not even sure if we're gonna get that continuation of the story you know and it's fucking annoying. i don't think we will like the, to be honest it's just so cheap like this new one insidious 4 was just so cheap was so uninspired was just like is it, it's just them milking <laughs> it legit is just them milking it now well, okay you, you know what's worse though you know what's even worse the next film we're going to discuss because this is actually i actually despise this film this is like the epitome of milking Oh, which one? In is this? this franchise, this is Annabelle Comes Home. Okay, I haven't seen Annabelle Comes Home. Okay, hmm. Do do we want to discuss this then? Because you haven't seen it. You can give me. Oh, is it good? Oh my god, I actually haven't seen this, dude. It's fucking trash. Oh no, mate. By Milk It, I mean it okay. was marketed as like Patrick Wilson and Vera Return. They're in the film for like five fucking minutes. The rest of the film is like a bunch of dumbass fucking teenage babysitters in the Warrens' house. They oh wait, I have seen this. I have, and it's It's... about the girl, and she goes into the room, and she just basically like touches touches everything. Oh my god! This film is the epitome of. I was actually like me and the missus watched it. Right, Mm. we were both furious throughout this film because we were like. No one in their fucking right mind would do this. Yeah, no I one. remember now. And the thing is, like, the whole film, you know, most of the time you're supposed to root for, for like, the people. Who, I was just like, you fucking deserve yeah. to all die. Like, all of you Wait, isn't there, because... like, a wolf man? There's, like, a wolf, like, a, a werewolf thing, isn't it? I don't even fucking remember, dude. Yeah, there's, like, that one kid who gets chased around by a werewolf. Oh, yeah, he's Oh, I'm sorry to remember that. See, okay, this is testament to how shit this film was. I genuinely forgot I watched it. (laughs) It's that bad. Oh, my God, I'm sorry to remember all of this now. Yeah, okay. It's shit. It's so bad. It's so bad. I remember now. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, the whole thing is, like, just a girl being fucking dumb as shit and touching yeah, it's everything just, it's two babysitters um, they're just like yeah i'm gonna touch everything i remember in, there was this one house. i think there was one demon that could have been cool and that was like the coins on the, the eyes. penny the penny that was kind of cool yeah. yeah but that was like the only thing the thing is i think uh, i remember the monsters themselves were like super bad cg mm. 
but I don't I don't actually remember any of the monsters being physical. I mm. think they were actually straight up CG. Mm. Um, the acting wasn't great, and I really, you know, fair play as a marketer myself, I get it. Oh. But like to market the film as like and the story continued, return, and you're literally just there it was like, all a lie. Fuck you, it was all a lie. Like five I remember one scene. I remember one very cool thing. That's the only thing I remember that I'm suddenly remembering. The TV that predicts the future, that shows the future. Do you remember that? Yeah. She's like looking into the own screen and she sees what is about to happen. I thought that was a pretty smart and cool and very interesting thing. And then it just went nowhere and you're like, oh. But I remember like in in the movie, I was kind of like, oh, whoa. Oh my God, that's kind of cool. And then nothing happens with it and you're like, oh. And, um, but yeah, like for me, it just seemed like for this film seems like almost as if it was like a YouTube, like three YouTube short stories put in like, you know, into this universe. Do you get me? It's kind of like mini stories, which I actually feel could be a good concept for an actual studio to pursue rather than doing like, you know, a fully fledged movie, just have an HBO Max series pursuing the mini cases of Ed and Lauren. Um, that, I feel like, could be cool, but... They all have to be directed and written by James Wan. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. That is the main thing. But, yeah, I feel like this film just seemed like a fucking fan film again. And very... C- I, yeah, I do remember this being very CG-heavy. And I just remember yelling at the top of my lungs, like, why the fuck are you doing this? And, yeah, I think exactly. That's exactly Trash. it. This is a, this is this film literally existed just to milk. That is the shit. yeah, that and and that is the definition of people making stupid decisions. Um, both the whole film was unnecessary. Yeah, like facts. As in the events in the film, completely unnecessary. Because mm, when you think about it, like if you were Ed and Lorraine, right, mm-hmm. you would put way more fucking locks on that door. Oh yeah, for sure. You literally like deadbolt. Man, that shit you, would be in a vault. I'd have like a shotgun that pointed at the door. <laughs> so if anyone tried to open it, they've got yeah. shot. Unless you like entered a specific mm. sequence. You know, like it's just yeah, film shit. Moving on. Yeah. Because we're almost at the end, really. Well, um, we got and... another bad one. The Curse of La Llorona. <sighs> oh my now, God. Now this is based, okay. This is based off a real, like, I suppose like Hispanic American mm-hmm. ghost folklore. Which is cool. Well, all of all of the Conjuring Universe ones are meant to yeah, be built on real things. I but I, I I really enjoy. I'm so bored of like American like ghosts, like mm. conventional Western ghosts. Because you're just like, all right, it's the fucking devil, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, like fuck off. Um, so I really enjoy the opportunity to watch films that kind of exp- like. That's why I love Asian horror so much because it explores. Well, I was going to say other cultures, but I was going to like. In saying that, Asian culture is our culture, so I prefer it probably because I find that scarier because it's something you probably grew grew up around. Mm-hmm. But I'm very bored of conventional demons and monsters, mm. and I was kind of excited for Le- Lord of the Rings. Although nowadays, the second it says produced by James Wan, I'm just like it's going to be trash. Mm. And this film is exactly that; it's trash. Although I will say this: the like witch doctor. 
was actually quite funny. Yeah, he was kind of cool. Like, kind of cool. Like when he literally just stands back and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna let you all get fucked." I'm just like, mm. "Yes," because you know what? That kid who literally just Bru- lost oh. the car went, "Fuck off, man!" Oh, like, just, the kids. What kind of kid would the, the kids like... in this movie are so fucking dumb. Like that one kid who breaks the protection circle because her doll was outside and she breaks yeah, it and yeah. then she breaks it. You're oh my god. Like okay, there 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 are coolish moments of like you know she looks through the umbrella or something and she sees La Llorona mm. comes closer. But for me, this whole film was just so fucking dead. Like it was so mm. dull. And the thing, okay, one thing I will have to admit is in the marketing materials all the trailers and shit they never mentioned it was part of the conjuring universe yeah you knew that one was producing it but that was it and you know since he's done a few horror films already you were kind of like okay he's just producing it and shit and you only find out that it is part of the universe when father perez who appeared in the animal films makes an appearance and then you're like oh I kind of liked that. Mm. It was almost as if they didn't want to, you know, mention that it was part of the universe until you watched it. I thought that was kind of cool and I respect that. But I think just as a film on its own, regardless of its connectivity and shit, it was just shit. It was just so dull. Like, it was, it yeah. was nothing special. The CG was pretty bad. and like It was just unoriginal. Although, mm. I will say this. The crying bit was kind of eerie to begin with. And then it got old really quick. Um, yeah, meh. You know, and Meh. you know, it was, it's always nice to see Belma running around. Yeah, true, know. true, true, yeah. true. Big up. Yeah, big I do up. remember. I do remember actually in the film, her kid is watching Scooby Doo. I thought that was quite funny. Yeah, mm, true. I was probably not on purpose. No, definitely on purpose. <laughs> no, if I was the director, of course, it's on purpose. If I was the director, I would literally like I would have had her whole kid's bedroom just be Scooby Doo. True, true. Posters. Of the film that she was in, because um, that film is true. trash. But, but yeah, film is trash. This film trash. is fucking terrible. I mean, it's got twenty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Fucking terrible. Not that, not that we trust Rotten Tomatoes. True, but I think in this case it's very wrong. fair enough. In this case, mm. it's very fair. And you know, again, jump scares rather than its actual story and writing. Film uh, acting performances, not the best. Meh. Um, and it's just fucking like it's lazy. Yeah, and I just think it's lazy. At the very end, there's also kind of like a little tease of like, is there gonna be like a is she the new demon or some shit? Because she sees like this puddle of tears at the very end, and there's like a reflection of herself yeah. or something, and you're kind of like, eh. Did, was, but no was one this cares. Financially successful? It was hugely it was. financial successful. Oh, was it? In God damn it! Budget Stop of... watching these films, people. This is insane. It had a budget of nine million, and it made a hundred and twenty-three mil. So it had the lowest budget of any of the Conjuring Universe films, but it was very successful at the box office. So. Another, you know, another great success financially, but fuck me, quality-wise, bloody hell. That's quite mad, actually. Uh, I mean, yeah. fair, fair play for making money. That's, like, a good job. That's good for horror films mm. in general. But, yeah, I mean, it's but just, you know, another example trash. of, like, I actually forgot trash. this. Like, what? what's the point of this film? What's the point of this film? There is, um, no, there is no point. And then, what's next? 
that's pretty much it, right? In terms of all the movies that have well, come out. Well, this is pretty much it. So we're um, up to date. <clears throat> now, obviously, there's going to be... We're up to date. The Conjuring 3 coming out. I know, I know, I know. 2021. No hype whatsoever, because it says right here he is not directing yep, it. Yeah, he's not directing He's it. only done the story, but he, he co-writes with about three other people <sighs> who, have, who have also co-written all of the shit we have just mentioned. So mm. I actually have zero faith. Because... It's so annoying. No, it... When you think about it, though, right? Yes, he directed Saw. Yes, he did Insidious 1 and 2. Yes, he did Conjuring right mm-hmm. but he still directed conjuring 2 and that was shit mm. so so has does this me he i mean you know how we keep saying maybe he's not you know um involved in all of these films that are produced that are shit maybe he is maybe he's lost his touch because mm-hmm. like come on like who, what director would allow this many films to have his name on it and be as trash as most of these are you know what i mean mm. Like, he's quite a powerful director now because of the financial success of all of these films. He could very easily turn around and be like, you know, especially with Insidious The Last Key, he could totally be like, look, that film is shit. Take my name off the poster. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he has every power to do that. So I'm really paranoid for The Conjuring. You know why? Because he's probably more focused on Aquaman, dude. Like... Mm. That's the thing. Like, that is way bigger budget. Yep. That is way more time consuming. Mm. And I think as a director for him, because he's done so, he's yeah. had so much to do with horror, mm-hmm. he's probably looking for something fresh. Yep. That's why he's very you know, true. Did very, Aquaman. very true. Although he is doing, it says here he's doing a film called Malignant. Mm. I've heard which, of Malignant, actually. Yeah. And this is an original story by Mr. Wan. Fucking this. hell, mate. Yeah, just, just cut this bit. <laughs> Fucking no, hell, mate. I'm, you, I'm literally you on Wikipedia. That. <laughs> I'm, wi- I'm on Wikipedia. Hold up. Uh... It's an original thriller or not based on Oh, it's either. not even a horror then. But yeah, I mean, like you said, I feel like with Aquaman and... Well, this upcoming film called Malignant, blah, blah, blah. James Wan is probably shifting his focus to other things at this point. And I said this in a previous episode where I feel as artists and creatives, the worst thing for us is probably stagnation or, you know, just doing the same thing over and over again. And I feel like at this point, James, like, I think you made a very good point. I feel James is just bored. And he's probably ready to do other shit. The thing... Do you know what's really annoying? I feel that if the executives allowed him to do his own Annabelle film and his own, like, you know, spinoffs and shit and have them kind of spaced out. So, like, 2010, Conjuring. 2016, Conjuring 2. 2020, Annabelle. Some shit. If he had all his own... If he was doing this on his own time, we would probably have seen a lot more of James Wan directed films. And I feel like, again, I'm not sure how true this statement is, but I feel like Conjuring 2, he still, you know, if given more time and stuff, blah, blah, I feel like he probably would have done a better job if in between, you know, he wasn't 
Like, you know, I don't know. I just have this idea in my head that James didn't actually want or predict how his franchise would have gone. You know, I feel like in an ideal world, they would have been a lot more spaced out. And that's the annoying thing. I just feel like, and again, there's no legitimacy behind what I'm saying, but I just feel that James probably didn't want there to be 7 million spinoffs from this franchise. But I think, um, you you know, the day they stop being financially viable, the day it ends. But I really don't think it will end because... Jesus Christ, it's been almost 10 years of this mm. shit. Um, you know, and, and look, I can see it says TBA, The Crooked Man. Oh, God. I, another fucking oh, spin-off. God. Oh, no, 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 no. Like, no. oh, it's The Crooked Man. <laughs> the Crooked Man like, was so off. annoying in that fucking film as well. Like, he was just so... You know, sh- uh, he was just there. Like, I don't understand why he was there. Like, what was he doing? Like, what? Yeah, I know. Eh? He was just there. Um, you know, and you look at, like, you look at some of the upcoming TBA things he's producing salem's lot no idea what that is but that sounds like a horror film the tommy knockers no idea what that is untitled, untitled the, nun the film nun oh film. god god damn it oh oh seb you're gonna love this train untitled to train to busan remake mm, yeah. it literally only just see okay this is he better uh oh see that it's just gonna be whitewash shit well, he's just, I don't know. I feel like, at, yeah, I feel like producer credits are very, like, I don't know how don't actively anything, involved these producers are with these creations. I feel like most of them is probably just like, yeah, cool. I'll, I'll throw in a, I'll, I'll throw in a grand. Yeah, go on then. Oh, you want creative input? Um, <laughs> Just a grand. It gives a grand. Man. Uh, yeah, g- give off. her a red shirt. <laughs> yeah, boom, done. All right, we'll see you in a bit. Hey, see you at the 10 million party. Hey, cool. Like, I feel like that's what producers do when it comes to these things. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. Well, I, f- I mean, I think it depends. I mean, he was producer on a lot of these, but if you look at his executive producer credits, I imagine he was a lot more creatively yeah, involved probably. with the Saw franchise. Mm, probably. Um, Makes sense. I'm really starting to get concerned here because when you look at the Saw franchise and the trajectory of shit that went on, mm. that was like a downhill train to shit town. True. Train to Busan. <laughs> more like train to shit town. <laughs> I mean, if anything, train to Busan too. That's where it's heading. Mm. And that film is shit. Um, the James Wan universe is, I, I would argue that it's already, be, it's already gone there. It's, it's mm. well in the like scraping the bottom of the yeah. barrel, milking people. Yeah, it's past it. It's you know, over. and it's, and it's literally just, it won't end until it stops being Do you know what the viable. sad thing is, is that the universe ended where it started. <laughs> like <laughs> the only two good films were Conjuring and I guess animal creation. That's it. Pretty much in the Conjuring universe, at least. Pretty much, and that's pre- <laughs> all the rest <laughs> are shit, and that's quite a lot of films, which is really, really sad. And the same is said about the Insidious franchise as well, where after two, there's just no point. So it's a shame, and I think I mean th- this. You know, since we've come to the end of our. Uh, of James Wan's works and stuff, this is basically going to be it for the episode. But I think, you know, this basically sums up what we were saying in the beginning of 
James Wan ushered in a new era of modern classics. And, you know, he started this decade so strongly. So started these two decades so strongly with Saw, Insidious, Conjuring. And then it just went downhill. Yeah, basically he's done fucked up twice in two decades. <laughs> Legit. And it's just such a shame because I feel like it's evident that this guy can make good films. It's evident that he can make a good horror film. What went wrong? Quite a lot, as we've said. Bad CG. <laughs> Too much. Bad I writing. Don't think it's, I don't think it's redeemable. Like how, mm. you know, I, I think out of all of these films, Conjuring is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, how the fuck do you top that? Just fucking have a good writer and just, just you know, spend some time. And that's the thing. I feel like the sad thing is, is that this franchise has brought out some of the worst horror films. And it's kind of setting the trend of horror films nowadays. And now you can obviously argue that we have seen some very, well, good modern uh, modern horror films and people would obviously talk about hereditary midsummer us get out and you know as we said in the last episode we agree with some and disagree with many and the thing is i feel that james wan had a huge say in in re in this resurgence of this whole of these horror films of the modern era but he's also i wouldn't say him particularly but the, his franchises have also ushered in this era of unoriginality or mm. kind of like cash grab franchise money, mm. which, you know, again, I blame Marvel. And here's the thing. Marvel are crushing it, and they do well at that. But from all the good that they do, they've basically set up this formula which isn't Marvel. This isn't Marvel's fault. I would say it's more everyone else's fault of trying to do the same thing. I mean, look at the Dark Universe thing. That flopped instantly. Yeah, and the DC Universe are very much trying to do it as well. It's created a new business model within the the film industry Mm -hmm. rather than quality content. Mm. You are literally just trying to set up franchises and catch up with Marvel Mm. as quick as possible. And the Dark Universe tried to do that in one film, Mm. which is absolute insanity, and that film's trash. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you've got the DC film universe. And Seb and I are both DC fans. We Mm -hmm. want that franchise. We want it. But... Chill the fuck out, yeah, dude. You're not going to make it in five sure. years. Exactly. Which you is know, why I'm excited for this new chapter with their new direction. But Exactly. Like, same thing with, um, you know, this horror franchise is basically, yeah, they were just trying to do the same thing and prioritizing making money over making quality movies, mm-hmm. which is a really sad thing. And I just genuinely still feel what I said earlier about if James had time and is, you know, like they weren't rushing him i feel like he probably could have given us a genuinely amazing franchise of films maybe that's a franchise like a trilogy or something or like a saga that was built over you know 10 years Mm -hmm. rather than eight films in four years which is fucking insane yeah i'm i'm i don't know the more i think about it and especially after this discussion i'm becoming much more paranoid that the next film that he directs horror film he directs 
will probably be trash. Mm. Um, you know, because when I I am looking at what he's directed, right? Insidious is great. Insidious two is is good. Conjuring is good. Conjuring chapter two is absolute dog shit. Mm. And then when you look back at some of the older films he did, Saw, yeah, Saw is great. But then he followed Saw up with Dead Silence. Now I know you haven't seen that film, Seb. Mm-hmm. That film is as bad as any of the films that we have just destroyed oh boy like that film is trash and he had a budget of like 20 million to make that film okay watch it it is so fucking bad (laughs) um and the thing is it's like obviously he made that film 13 years ago okay like you grow a lot as a director blah 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 I disagree because he still made the fucking Conjuring 2 and that film's trash. Mm. So I don't know, man. He also made Death like Death Sentence. I haven't seen that, but that film apparently was shit too. Mm. So I, I don't know, dude. And also, any director that is involved with the Fast and Furious franchise can fuck <laughs> off. Because that whole franchise mm. since Tokyo Drift has been terrible. I feel so like... I don't know, man. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm... You know what? Here, I'm going to say it. I don't give a fuck about James Wan anymore. I'm sorry. Aquaman 2. If he makes the deep film, I'd watch that because mm-hmm. I know he discussed exploring the horror elements mm-hmm. of the Aquaman series. Like, okay, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that'll be a CGI shit show, but, you know, okay. I've lost faith in horror now. This is great. I think, like, you know, we need to give credit for what he's done for the film industry mm-hmm. and, and, and the horror industry for sure. But mm-hmm. I feel that as of right now, I'm pretty much sharing that stance of I'm not very confident in what James Wan is going to be doing in the future. Um, and I'm not particularly hyped to see. Mm-hmm. And I feel like is very similar to, I feel, in the early days of M. Night Shyamalan, he was putting out some bangers. And mm-hmm. then after a certain point, he just kind of lost his touch. Same thing with Tim Burton, you know? Late yeah. 90s, 8, 80s, 90s and shit. He was a god. Hey, man, I think I think all directors have their heyday. Like Steve Spielberg, mm. we, we touched upon this mm. before. 80s, 90s, the dude was mm. an absolute king. Um, I think Peter Jackson... Hey, you know, he had his heyday and now he's... Mate, he's so gone. rich that he's... Like, they're all so rich that they're probably actually... just didn't give a fuck. But yeah, the thing... The, yeah, I guess the, the saving grace of James Wan is he's still very, very young. And I just hope that, you know, at some point he's going to notice this and see this and be like, you know what, I think it's time to take a step back, revitalize, mm-hmm. re-energize, and just, you know, take a little time... And hopefully that'll be the case because I, I do feel that he has more to offer. And I, I, I do look to the future with hope at least that one day he's going to come out with a fucking banger and we're all going to be losing our goddamn minds. But, but like you said, yeah. right now, unfortunately, it's not looking that good for James Wan. Yeah, I think, um, you know, to, to broaden the horror topic, this formula of film has, has spewed into all other horror mm. films. All other mainstream horror films. And I think it's diluted the market. And I think it's just kind of, you know, got to give him credit for what he's done for horror. But I also got to give him credit for what he's done to mm. horror. You mm. know, he's he's revitalized it. But I think in a way he's gentrified very, it. Very, very true. That's a very good point. Unintentionally, obviously. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think it's the studios that have gentrified mm. his style of mm. horror because everyone's trying to copy it now. And that's why, you know, you, you know, shout out to like It Follows, mm. you know, like indie horror. I mean, what do you think of all the horror classics? They are actually are all yeah, indie I think, horror, like Hammer yeah, Films, think, the Hammer Film very, franchise. Very true. Those were all mm. indie. I think um, indie horror is the way to go. I mean, like I can think mm. of so many films like, you know, a24 films vivarium mm. lighthouse mm. i mean there is even um the co- like i guess there's like that whole subgenre that's also kind of rising in popularity of like the horror comedy which i think so- it's it's an interesting kind of like mix i don't mind it like ready or not was pretty funny yeah like black i love a good black mm. comedy but they're they're kind of like difficult mm. to do you know you of the dead i think is the the prime example of like the perfect mm. black comedy uh you know ready or not is a really good recent example mm. but then you know you've kind of got a cult classic you know from dust till mm. dawn i adore that's one of my favorite films ever um and then you've got you know this true indie the pioneer i think of indie horror is john carpenter true like the dude is the king of low budget great great films and they're not they're not even like all of, you know, they're not even B movies for fuck's sake. It's not like he was making an Ed Wood film. Like they're class films mm. on low budgets. Um, so I think the end of this, you know, to end this episode, uh, you don't need a massive budget to make a great film. I think there's a perfect balance between CG and practical effects and practical makeup. Uh, a lot of these films suffer from an imbalance of all of those things. A great soundtrack goes a huge long way or lack of soundtrack. Some of the best ones have no fucking soundtrack. Think of Hush. That's a great example of, well, I mean, the character is deaf, but you experience that with them and it's, it's, it's yeah, amazing. Hush had moments, but I feel like it it was quite let down the minute mm. the guy showed his face. Great yeah. premise though. But I suppose, premise. I suppose that was, yeah, well, we could discuss that in another episode. Oh, another but... really good modern horror film, Invisible Man 2019. I thought that was pretty good. I've not bothered to I watch think it's it actually, but you need to check it out. It's actually pretty good. It isn't a straight okay, up classic I'll, I'll horror. It it's more of a psychological thriller with horror elements, but there are moments that are pretty unsettling. Definitely check it out. Okay. And that's the thing. I okay. feel like there are there is hope in modern horror films i mean throughout this entire episode we've basically like what exactly what marcus said modern horror day horror, modern day horror films are you know most of them and a, well, a lot of them are pretty bad but there are occasional moments of that was great that was original mm. or that was done well and it's not like the entire genre has been killed off. James Wan, you know, he did a really good job of modernizing it, blah, blah, blah. And there are lots of indie and like standalone films that are coming out that are great. But the main thing and the main reason why those indie and smaller films were doing so great was because it didn't follow that formula or and it just mm-hmm. strayed away from the usual kind of like CG heavy, jump scare heavy cheap dead writing and idiotic decision making if you skip all of that and develop a genuinely you know thrilling anticipating captivating story. story that's all you need to make a horror you don't need that look at the original saw look at the original um 
uh, original James Wan movies, they were all done on like one one mil to ten mil, and they made five billion. Well, not five billion, but like mm. three hundred million <laughs> and shit. So I think you know the state of horror nowadays, not the best. But although in saying that, we did quick fire last in our last episode through, through some amazing very, very horror true. films that have recently mm-hmm. come out. But I think the general rule for horror is. For, for any horror fan is captivate respect your fucking audience mm. don't treat them like an mm. idiot and genuinely scare yep. them focus on the story scaring them rather than effects sound effects or you know cheap jump scare focus on the story yeah. itself so a great modern example which seven i omitted from our uh, last episode is mm-hmm. House of the Devil. Mm. Now, when Seb and I sat down and watched this together, for the first 70% of the film, we were actually super on edge because- It was fucking amazing. It was, it was amazing because we ha- I haven't felt that way in a long time. Yeah, like, it was so we good. There and we were actually terrified. It was and so it was, good. It was so tense. You know, like- You could hear atmos- a pin drop. Oh, you could yeah. genuinely hear a pin drop. It was so good. The atmosphere was amazing. The acting mm. was fucking on point. Mm. The t- you know, the sound, everything coerced, like the cohesion. It was like fucking gorilla glue. Oh, yeah. It oh, was yeah. sick. And then they slap you in the face <laughs> at the end of the film, and they're like, ha-ha, stereotypical ending. <laughs> yeah. rah. And you're just there like, really? Mm. And this is my big thing. It's like captivated. They they met mm-hmm. th- two of the three rules mm. that I think, I think we should have you know what? I'm going to invoke this as our new way of like judging horror <laughs> films. So they captivated us, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. We were literally stuck to our fucking chairs. Like, mm-hmm. it was mad. Mm-hmm. Scared. We were pretty on edge, you mm-hmm. gotta say. Pretty mm-hmm. on edge. But then the respect. If anything, the payoff we were was just terrible. Absolutely disrespected mm-hmm. at yeah, the end of that film. For sure, for sure. And it, it, honestly, if they had written a better ending, that film would, would be, be like, a dude, modern I would, classic. I would hold that in such high regard. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And and this is the thing with a lot of a lot of modern horror is they just fucking they only meet certain like some of that criteria. Mm. Uh, but you know, really great modern examples of films that meet all three is you know we discussed last time like the whaling mm-hmm. you know like train to busan etc mm-hmm. etc mm-hmm. there are films out there yep. that exist that are amazing mm. you i think it's just a case like it with any genre of music cinema it applies to anything really you mm-hmm. just have to go out and find it mm. like don't be a lazy prick you can't you can't just stereotype a whole genre and be like yeah the whole genre is shit now mm. it's like the main okay you can you know you could be like mainstream horror i i think uh it would it's be like fair just to you know say, it's like very pop music kind of yeah, vibe, you know like yeah yeah you can't throw a blanket over yep. over it you know and you can find good shit if you just look for it basically um, yeah but yeah i think very well said i think that's the perfect way to you know sum up what we're talking about today and look to the future guys i think there is hope for horror there is definitely hope for horror but not James Wan's future. Just maybe not, less so with James Wan. But again, I'm going to big up my Asian brother. Hopefully yeah. he'll come back with big a up. banger. Big you know, up. No, just, the dude is amazing. Exactly. Huge respect good, to the Donnie. Yeah. Huge For what he's done, good sure. on him. Mm, good on but, him um, indeed. And he's given know, us two modern classics. Like I've already said. Hey, I'll take that any day. I'll take that. <laughs> exactly. We will take that. I, if his film career ended here, 
I will at least celebrate the fact that he gave us two amazing yeah. horror films. If if all of these bad films are the result of two of the best horror films we've had in the last forty mm. years, fair play. Mm. That's that. I'll allow it. There we go. It's we not like I've made a horror film, so exactly, play. exactly, exactly. But Seb and I will one day. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, guys, uh, big thank you to James Wan. I know you're not listening, but hey, big thank you to James Wan. Hope you can do better next time. <laughs> um, but <laughs> and if you are listening, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I, I love you. <laughs> Give me money. Oh uh, well. Um, but yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That was our third and final Halloween special. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's we've spoken quite a lot about Hallow- like Halloween movies and stuff. You know, we've had three episodes. This is probably about four to five hours of yep, Halloween legit. episodes that we've done. Mm-hmm. And as you can tell, out of all the genres of film, I, I would... I would happily say that horror is the one that yeah, we're for here sure. for. You know, we're that's the one we could talk the most about. But um, yeah, Just we you wait till Christmas, listeners. Hey, true that though, true that though. <laughs> Which is actually really soon, and it's kind of scary. Yeah. Oh boy. But anyway, I've been your boy Seb. And I've been Marcus. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.